episode of FW Presents, the anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. In this episode, I am wearing both my bell bottoms and my parachute pants as we are going to be discussing some of our favorite television shows from the 1970s and 1980s. Now, I'm one of your hosts, Shag Starbuck. Along with me today are some of our network co-hosts. We've got Robert Fonzarelli. How you doing, buddy? I prefer to be called the Big Ragu. <laughs> We've got Max Ponch Romero. It's not a bike, man. It's a motorcycle. <laughs> And J.R. Siskoid. Hi, Shag. Uh, as we know, I did live in Texas, so it fits. Perfect. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, folks, this is not only just a fun episode where we get to talk about some cool TV. This is also a special Patreon-fueled episode. Rob, uh, why don't you tell the folks at home how, how we got to, to this point? Well, yeah, this was a suggestion by our pal Chuck Coletta. He's known as a Dr. Pop Culture over on uh, Twitter. Uh, he's a professor at Bowling Green State University, and uh, he's been on a bunch of our shows, and he's just a great guy, and he suggested that we talk about TV shows of the 70s and 80s. So we thought, that seems like a fun topic, and so uh, we're taking him up on a suggestion. So thank you, Chuck. And we're going to be focusing like on the primetime shows, because we, we started thinking about it, because otherwise we'd end up down this rabbit hole of Saturday morning cartoons and after-school shows. It'd be all He-Man and, and and you know Smurfs or something. So we're going to focus on primetime shows, and we're going to try to keep it to shows we watched first run rather than reruns. I'll, I'll give you an example, like MASH. I didn't find MASH till the reruns, so I didn't watch it first run, so I'm not going to count that one. Now, we'll touch on some reruns at the end, but uh, for the most part, just first run. Now, Rob, you're older than Dirt. You remember the 70s pretty well, right? <laughs> yes, I I was born during the Nixon administration, so <laughs> good start for everybody. But yes, I remember the 70s uh, quite fondly. Max and Cisco, what about you guys? We're all the same age. <laughs> yeah, I actually think I'm I'm the oldest one here. I think I so. Think. Yeah. yeah. That's not fun. I like making fun of Rob. I see. I don't want to make fun of Max. I like making fun of Rob. <laughs> oh, Max, I love you so much. Max, you don't know how to podcast right. You're doing this wrong. <laughs> Tell my parents. <laughs> Your mom. <laughs> I've heard stories about what your mother made you do at Christmas time. I'm not gonna. I'm oh not gonna God. go there. <laughs> well, tell you what, before we get, we, we're gonna get into this, folks. We're gonna do this, but we should probably take a second to thank our sponsors, folks. This episode of FW Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42 percent off, with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. Now, I'm gonna go first here. Um, I picked. And that's it. You're, th- you're thinking, okay, comic books in 1970s TV shows. Where's the connect? Well, here you go. Uh, my 
pick is Wonder Woman 77 and the Bionic Woman. Yes, they did a team up between the Linda Carter Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman, and it's a lot of fun. I picked it up off the shelves when it was coming out. The covers are great. The story's fun. Uh, it's them teaming up exactly what you would want, these two powerhouses, female icons of the 1970s. So the writer's Andy Mangles. Artist is, uh, oof, I'm going to say this wrong, Judith Tondora, perhaps? Covers by Alex Ross. Page counts 160 pages. It's full color. Normally retails for $19.99, but you can get it for 30% off, so it's only $13.99. And it is as much fun as you would hope it is. Rob, what'd you bring? Well, I was initially uh, very disappointed to find out that DC has not yet released a hardcover deluxe edition of the Welcome Back Cotter Treasury that they put out in the 70s. <laughs> uh, so I was limited with what I could go for. So I decided to check out Six Million Dollar Man. Of course, it was a big deal in the 70s. And there are a lot of Six Million Dollar Man comics. And it was just a matter of which one to pick from. And then when I found Bionic Man Trade Paperback Volume 2 Bigfoot, <gasps> I stopped in my tracks because, no pun intended, because uh, this is uh, <laughs> this is from Dynamite Entertainment. It features a cover by Alex Ross. <laughs> you can believe it. And it's all about the Six Million Dollar Man taking on Bigfoot. As anyone knows, if you listen to my In Search of episode I did with Dan Budnick, I love Bigfoot. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of Bigfoot. So this looks like super, super fun. It's 168 pages. Normal price, $19.99. In stock trades price, $13.99. You save 30%. And of course, would make a wonderful companion to the Wonder Woman Bionic Woman comic because you've got $6 million man and Bionic Woman there together. See, for me, I, I, the Bigfoot episodes were always the best ones of Bionic Man for me growing up. So that was... I, was, I had I, the toy. I had the Bigfoot toy. Oh, that's awesome. You pretend it was a shaggy man probably with your Justice League. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I should have. <laughs> Well, folks, uh, please go out to InStockTrades.com for all your trade paperback and hardcover needs. We also need to thank, in regard to sponsors, you guys at home for your help with uh, your Patreon support. Because running the Firewater Podcast Network with so many shows and all the online hosting fees, it's it's very costly. And without your help at home, we would not still be on the air. So thank you very much. So if you're enjoying shows like this, the best way to support us is by visiting our Patreon, which is Patreon.com slash FWPodcast. And consider supporting uh, shows, consider supporting the network, I guess is what I'm trying to say at that point. And it's certain sponsorship tiers you get mentioned on your favorite fire and water shows just like these folks so our thanks to david ace gutierrez and gord tolton and a very special thanks of course to chuck coletta Yep. Visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. All right. So the way we're going to do this, folks, we are going to rock and roll through the 70s or disco our way through the 70s, I should say. And then we are going to bubblegum pop our way through the 80s. And we're going to sort of do like this massive spitting out of a bunch of shows. It's Your head's going to be spinning so fast. You're going to be like, oh, my gosh, I forgot about that one and that one and that one. And then we're each going to take a moment to talk a little bit deeper about one particular show that we want to. So going through this, um, why don't we start with you, Rob? Why don't you give us a, a rundown, a rattle off all the shows from the 70s. And yeah, these are shows that you loved watching growing up, or maybe you just you watched a lot of. Well, I mean, like you said, Jag, we're, we're limiting this to primetime shows uh, because, yeah, if we did all TV, we would be here all night. And so we are leaving out Saturday morning cartoons. We're leaving out reruns. I've already mentioned on many, many podcasts, my beloved Channel 48, which had a great collection of reruns. And that's where I saw a lot of 60s programming, Batman, the monkeys. But we're leaving all that out. In terms of 70s, I mean, you know, again, I was a child of the 70s. I watched watch TV till my eyes bled. You know, I mean, that's just what it was. Oh, it's so gross. This was, you know, this was back in the day when you actually had to get up and move across the room to change the channel, too. I mean, that was a big deal back then. Uh, but, I mean, I watched everything. I watched Happy Days. I watched Laverne and Shirley. I watched Three's Company. I watched Battlestar Galactica. I watched I Battle the Network Stars, those wonderful specials. Yes. <laughs> all, the, uh, you know, all, the TV, all the TV people competing back and forth. The Incredible Hulk, Dukes of Hazard, Dallas, uh, the Bob Newhart Show, Mary Tyler Moore. 
And by the way, of course, as everyone knows, MASH is my number one. MASH will be left out of this episode entirely because it's just got its own separate thing. Uh, but and that was always my favorite show and it always will be. I watched the original Saturday Night Live. My parents let me watch the original run of that show. The That's Bill crazy. Aykroyd, Bill Murray era. And that was a time when I didn't get half the jokes. They let me watch <laughs> those things. I mean, I just watched everything because it was just, you know, it was just an amazing, I was an indoor kid. I did my drawings and, you know, TV was like, well, I can say TV was not my parent because my parents were around, but nevertheless, I just watched it at in front. I can still remember watching the Star Wars holiday special. I can still remember <laughs> sitting there watching it live on the air and probably being horrified, but it, nevertheless, I remember doing it. So I just, it's like, if, if the show ran more than a half a season, I probably saw at least one or two episodes of it. That's awesome. I, it, I I didn't even remember some of the ones you just rattled off. Like Battle of the Network Stars. Oh my gosh. I completely forgot that thing even existed. Oh, that was so fun. And I used I really loved I mean, as a comic book kid, I loved crossovers and all of a sudden you had people from different networks all on the same show and it kind of felt like that a little. It had a little bit yep. of a Superman Spider Man feel to it. It's like, oh look, it's Lindsay Wagner and Gabe Kaplan. That's exciting. <laughs> All right, Max, uh, you love Child You. Why don't you tell us some of your favorite 70s shows? Oh, my God. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, not unlike Ambush Bug, I was raised by an Admiral Solid State Television. <laughs> I saw so much TV growing up, you know, and a lot of what Rob watched. I, I mean, I saw everything. I was just, you know, absorbing so much television uh, from a young age. And, you know, again, it's not like my parents were negligent. <laughs> you know, I tell so many stories <laughs> about my parents if they sound terrible. But they, they you know, I like TV. They, they like TV. But one of the things that I really enjoyed um, watching in the 70s especially was there was kind of like this renaissance in um, police dramas Ooh, and, yeah. and detective stories and that sort of thing. So I watched Columbo and SWAT and Starsky and Hutch and uh, Rockford Files, Police Woman, Beretta, you know, all of those things. And, uh, you know, and also Six Million Dollar Man and, you know, just, you know, MASH, of course, and uh, all those sort of things. And also, uh, you know, the 70s were a time, you know, it was, it was just coming out of, you know, when I was a kid, it, the we were just coming out of the whole, you know, death of Summer of Love sort of thing and, and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, people complain now about TV that is too, you know, quote unquote woke. Oh, my God, the 70s would have just like caused aneurysms all across this country <laughs> if that was the case. You know, because it was all in the family and the Jeffersons and Sanford and Son and Good Times, you know, and all these other shows. Um that were just, uh, you know, I, I hate to, to give too much credit to TV, but were really kind of influential in my thinking in terms of, of um, you know, having that kind of worldview of, you know, because they were, you know, these shows were talking about all sorts of issues. And, um, but I was also a big Fantasy Island fan. You know? <laughs> oh, so, man, Fantasy Island, yes. Yes, oh. the plane, the plane. Oh, my God. And, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever fallen down that rabbit hole, but holy smoke. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but Mr. Rourke is supposed to be apparently an angel of some sort, fighting well, the devil. It's crazy. Is that the remake version? Or? No, no, okay. no, no. That's, that's 
yeah, the remake version, he's actually kind of a devil rather than an angel. Mm-hmm. They they flip the script. Yeah, no, no, no. This is this is the original. It's all hint- it's crazy. It's crazy times. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just I watched everything. I watched everything. Well, you make a good point about the seventies being woke. I mean, they were really an active effort to try and reflect the people who were watching. They were really trying to instead of just showing you like white bread suburban America, uh, and maybe someone who was a big fan of the sixties could argue with me and tell me no, the sixties were fairly woke too. But it just I remember the seventies being a time where people. Could look on the TV and see themselves for the first time. So yeah, and I, and they dealt with a lot of different issues of you know of uh, race and poverty and um, you know just kind of being middle class and that being a struggle. And you know, uh, all in the family had the, a famous episode about sexual assault. You know, it was you know, the, and these were comedies, <laughs> you know, and uh, but they were still tackling these issues in a in a very smart way. I think. I, I learned about racism to some extent uh, from watching Archie Bunker. I didn't, I didn't watch a lot of it. I watched a couple episodes in seeing this guy who was racist. I was like, I didn't understand it because thankfully, I guess I was fairly isolated. I wasn't around much of that when I was very young. And so seeing someone acting this way, I was like, why is he like this? You know, mm-hmm. so. All right, Siskoid, what about you, man? In tech, is, Are we going to talk Texas or are we going to talk Canadian TV here? We're not going to talk Texas because uh, I only spent summers there in the 80s. So ah. in the 70s, I, I really had to untangle the timeline because my early years were all French language TV. And it was routine for dubbed American shows from the 60s to, to be part of the normal rotation. So stuff like like The Saint and The Pre-Nimoy, uh, Mission Impossible and The Avengers and Time Tunnel and The Ghost and Mrs. Weir and others, they just ran on – they were just like new shows. Mm-hmm. But, they, but they weren't. They weren't 70s shows. They were 60s shows. Uh, but I do have some real 70s memories of some shows in English and some shows dubbed in French. But, you know, I remember Mary Tyler Moore. I remember The Odd Couple, Nanny and the Prof- Professor, for some reason, which was ran in French all the time. <laughs> I think it was just called Nanny. Uh, the Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman. I mean, to me, Lindsay Wagner ripping up that phone book is like a major <laughs> part of my childhood. <laughs> uh, the Little House on the Prairie, Battlestar Galactica, its cousin, Buck Rogers, uh, One Day at a Time, Alice, Charlie's Angels, Quincy, Hardy Boys, and Nancy Drew had shows back then. Eight is Enough. The Carol Burnett show was important to us because my mom sort of looked like Carol Burnett. That's the thing people said about her. Uh, and on the Canadian side, or I certainly remember like the Beachcombers, which was a show that ran like for 30 years. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, but mostly it was like my, my American upbringing. It was like Saturday morning cartoons. So at night, so it's, it's, it's kind of a muddle. My parents got divorced. I wasn't watching TV in, in necessarily in markets where they had even American TV playing. For, for parts of it. So th- the things you say about <laughs> your experience with television in the 70s, that's going to be my experience in the 80s when media explodes for me. Both in, in terms of because I now I become bilingual, now I, you know, whether it's comics or books or TV or movies, suddenly the 80s for me was like a big media time. That's when I was a sponge. So the 70s was more of a, like, it's, it's strange. I feel like my memories are bizarre when it comes to television because it was in two languages, because it was so, so eclectic that way. That has got to be, yeah, that must have been a real uh, Gordian, what do you call it? Gordian's not trying to figure that out of watching reruns in the wrong decade, but it was first run for you. And oh, geez. 
Yeah, I mean, for some, you know, there's some some of these shows. When I think of them, I hear French voices, uh, or <laughs> it's not uh, it's not consistent or anything. Like the you know the opening to the uh, Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, I hear it in French in my head. Oh wow! So, some, so like so like they called him the, a cos- they called him a cosmonaut. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that I guess that was the accepted term in France where they dubbed it. Uh, so it was like Steve Austin cosmonaut. You know that's how it went, and so. I, I have like stronger memory, so I know that I watched that show in French because I have those clear memories. So, was there any characters who like have famously recognizable voices in English, but in French it was just dubbed like with some ridiculously unmatching type of voice that sticks out in your memory? Well, when we get to the show that I picked as my spotlight, ah. that show has many accents in English, okay. but <laughs> to me, they all had like that standard French accent. That you know, it's it's like French dubs. They're they're like five voices. There's like five people in a room doing all the shows it's all the same voices <laughs> so uh it, it was odd when i first saw it in english it was like oh that person is really has an accented english or uh it was weird i uh, you talk about very few actors my wife was just watching some british show a few minutes ago before we got started here and she's like wait here's one of the doctor who guys i'm like honey there's only six british actors they're, they're all the same honey they just you watch it downtown abbey you just see you've seen every actor in england so <laughs> Um, for me, growing up in the 70s, I watched a lot of TV, but it was more probably reruns and stuff. So my list isn't terribly long. Uh, but the interesting – and we get into the 80s, so it'll get much longer. But the interesting thing for me was that my dad was a general manager of ABC TV stations growing up all through the 70s and 80s. And then my mother went to go work for the local NBC station uh, in the 1980s. So for me growing up, the, the Nielsen and Arbitron ratings reports, those were our coffee table books. Like I spent hours just pouring over these charts of going like, you know, what was the the market share for Laverne and Shirley between 18 to 20 year olds or, you know, whatever. And it, I, all these demographics were at my fingers all the time. So I, I had a, I guess, an inside track. It didn't help me save any shows I liked, but anyway. If only I could use my knowledge to keep Misfits of Science on the air, right? <laughs> All right. So my list, I don't, I don't – you guys, this is the disadvantage of going last. Uh, you guys, I think, have pretty much hit everything on my list, but I'll just rattle them through real quick. I kind of broke them into categories. Like uh, I watched a lot of comedies, um, Different Strokes, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, Three's Company. I loved Three's Company. Uh, WKRP. I watched Barney Miller, um, which I probably shouldn't have at that age, but uh, One Day at a Time, What's Happening. I loved that show. Oh, I loved uh, What's Happening. Yeah. yeah, it was so good. And Alice... Now, kiss my grits, Rob Kelly. Then uh, under sort of like family shows was Love Boat and Fantasy Island, of course. Then The Muppet Show. Uh, I don't know if anyone mentioned that one yet or not. No, but, I love The Muppet Show. That was so right, who hasn't? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the Waltons, uh, Eight is Enough, uh, Emergency, which is a firefighter paramedic show. Oh, yeah. Little House, Little House on the Prairie, BJ and the Bear. I mean, and some of these two, by the way, <laughs> straddle the 70s and 80s, just depending on where you pigeonhole it in your brain is where they fall, right? Uh, Hardy Boys. I, I was so mad that Cisco had mentioned Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. I was so proud of Pulling that one out. All right, you beat me to it. Charlie's Angels, Chips, Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman, Wonder Woman, Incredible Hulk, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, and Battlestar Galactic. So that's my list. Um, so why don't, why don't we go ahead and get into this? So what we're going to do now is each one of us has selected one show from the 70s that we want to talk about in greater depth. So, Max, we're going to start with you. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, my pick is kind of going off that uh – Spinning off of what we were talking about, uh, about issue-oriented television and especially sitcoms. Uh, and it, so it, we talked about this earlier, and you guys, uh, a lot of you guys said you had never heard of this show. So it's kind of interesting. I think we'll you know, 
it's going to be uh, interesting to see what you think about it. It is uh, Chico and the Man, which ran from 1974 to 1978 for four seasons. It starred uh, Freddie Prinze, uh, who is, yes, Freddie Prince's, Prince, Freddie Prince Jr.'s father. Thank and... you for not making me ask that incredibly dumb question that I was going to. <laughs> it is. It is him. Uh, so it was Freddie Prinze and Jack Albertson, who, uh, as the man, as Ed Brown, uh, most people know him as Grandpa Joe from uh, the Willy Wonka movie. <laughs> and... Uh, also, uh, recurring uh, character actors like Della Reese, Scatman Crothers, um, uh, Pat Morita, you know, they're, they're just um, really uh, kind of a, you know, a, a gallery of, of uh, character actors from that era. And Chico and the Man, the way it starts is uh, the, the, the man, Ed Brown, <laughs> uh, Mr. Brown has a garage in East L.A., which then and now is uh, predominantly uh, Latino neighborhood. And uh, at the time, especially, had kind of a reputation for being kind of uh, a poor neighborhood, uh, kind of grubby. Um, and Chico uh, is looking for a job in the garage, and uh, Mr. Brown tells him no. And he sneaks in at night anyway <laughs> and and starts uh, squatting in a in an, uh, an old van that's there. And eventually he kind of uh, works his way into uh, getting a job with Mr. Brown. And, uh, and things kind of just go from there. And he's, uh, you know, Mr. Brown drinks. He's kind of racist. <laughs> and, um, and Freddie Prince is young. He, uh, you know, is, you know, just young and he's Latino and he's out there and he's, um, they're, they're very different types of characters, but they had an undeniable chemistry, uh, which really made it, uh, the show a hit for its, uh, for about two and a half seasons, uh, until Freddie Prince, uh, unfortunately took his own life. Uh, and it, the series limped along for like another, you know, season and a half, but it just, it, it couldn't capture the same magic that they had for. And are you saying the show kept going after he had passed away? It did. They he, brought in a new character, right? Yeah, they did. Uh, they brought in a kid. Uh, <laughs> of course they yeah. did. It's the 70s. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, they brought in a kid. Uh, I can't remember what Gabriel Melgar? Is that That's his name? Him. That's him. Yeah. He, uh, he played a character named Raul. Um, and you know it was fine <laughs> but uh, but like i said a lot of what made the show work was the, the chemistry between jack albertson and freddie prince and it, they just they just couldn't capture it recapture it and it, and you know he freddie prince when he killed himself he it was in the middle of the season oh god and yeah and so uh they kind of re they wrote it in that he had gone to visit family in in mexico fun fact freddie prince is actually puerto rican uh and, <laughs> Uh, and uh, that he had gone to Mexico to uh, to visit family. And then the next season, they said he got a job there, a better job, and he was, you know, working and living there. And a later episode, um, the kid, Raul, is playing, uh, he finds a closet full of uh, Chico's stuff, including his guitar, and he starts playing it. And Jack, uh, the man, uh, Ed Brown grabs it and smashes it and says, you're not Chico, you're not Chico. And, uh, and it comes out that Chico, they, they never say how, but Chico apparently died while he's in Mexico. Mm, and wow. so, and that's, yeah. And so that's how they kind of dealt with, you know, the, the loss of uh, Freddie Prinze within the show. And, um, yeah, when, when it came out, I was only four, 
but you know i you know the tv was always on in my house <laughs> mm-hmm. so i probably just absorbed this and you know by the time i was five or six i was paying attention to tv i was watching you know these things and when it finally ended i was eight years old and i was also catching it um you know because in uh you know the the kids out there won't know this but they used to show uh you know uh, a show would have a a season and then it would end and uh they would have reruns in the summer so i would watch the reruns in the summer to and i guess that's how i kind of caught up mm-hmm. on what was yeah. happening and um and yeah, you know, and so this was this was part of that group of shows that I watched that was, you know, again, you know, very uh, social issue oriented and that I loved, you know, because, <clears throat> excuse me, because, you know, it was, and I guess it, it felt real to me um, more than, than other things. And I could relate to them and especially Chico and the Man, because I think probably um, Sesame Street was the first time I had seen I'm very lucky in the sense that I grew up seeing Latinos on TV. You know, I had I had uh, Luisa Maria on on Sesame Street, and then I had Chico and the Man, and um, you know, and then that kind of started to fade away, I guess, as the '80s came on, uh, and you know, they were all bad guys and all that. But I really appreciated Chico and the Man because you know, here was a guy who was supposed to be, uh, you know, that was relatable to me. He didn't speak with an accent, you know, which was a big deal in those days, mm-hmm. you know, because normally a, a Latino person would, would be speaking with a really heavy accent and, you know, all that crap. And, <laughs> you know, Chico didn't do that. And, um, you know, I, I just, you know, I thought that was really good. And when you watch it now, you know, obviously it's dated. I mean, it's from the early 70s, but <laughs> but it's uh, mid-70s. But it holds up, I think. And, you know, and I've, I've been watching a lot of, you know, older shows lately just because of cable and streaming and all that uh and you know it's it's a it's a show i still um can really appreciate and fun fact the this was actually uh, originally developed for uh Cheech and chong oh my gosh <laughs> but, but they did it yeah they were working with Cheech and chong on it it was based on some of their old skits uh well old skits now they weren't old at the time and uh but they decided they wanted to focus on movies instead of uh, television, and so it kind of went on without them. But yeah, they were they were part of the early development. They were too stoned to show up for tra- for rehearsals, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would think some network executive probably realized, wait a minute, these guys do nothing but drug humor. Uh, right, yeah, do this exactly. On television. <laughs> exactly. So, is, Matt, I'm sorry, Max. Is is Chico and the Man available anywhere? Like, I don't think I ever run across it on any of the 17 streaming platforms that I subscribe to. You know, I, I know, right? Uh, I haven't found it. The only place I can find it is YouTube, and huh. so it's it's obviously not complete. Um, I can I can address that a little bit. Um, I, I watched some on YouTube today, and they were recordings from TV Land, the mm-hmm. show TV, the, the network TV. So I know at some point TV Land has replayed them. I don't know if it's current or not because I don't have. Data. Yeah, that was a while ago. That was a long, and part of the problem is that there were only, I think, eighty-eight episodes, uh, so it was a little bit below uh, what they would like to have as ter- in terms of syndication. And so it did just never, for some reason, it, I think that was part of the reason it never got uh, picked up. But yeah, you can you can find it on on YouTube, but it, it's you know you're 
the quality is not. I, I watched one today that was obviously taken from a VCR, mm. and in the first five minutes, I'm yelling at the at the screen, going tracking, tracking. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it's yeah, it's it's a shame, you know, and it's something I think that could be easily packaged. I mean, it's only 88 episodes. You could put that on on one disc or a couple of discs in, in one one package. It's it wouldn't be hard to uh, to bring the show back into the light. But was his name actually Chico? And knowing the the real definition of that word, was that in itself uh, a bit off color to to call him that? Uh, no, he, you know, and I, I was actually, you know, I was reading up on it, and uh, and that caught my eye, and I talked to my wife about it too, and we both agree that no, that is not, you know, there there's some some stuff out there that says that Chico is supposed to be derogatory, like mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a slur, uh, especially toward men, but that that is that's a reach. I mean. Okay. If if you look at someone and say, hey, you know, and then you point at their, you know, at their crotch and say, hey, Chico, you know, then, yeah, you're going to, you know, someone's going to kick your ass. But, <laughs> I wish you had told me that earlier. <laughs> put anybody's crotch, it's not going to go well for you if you're being nasty. <laughs> exactly. The But no, Chico is, uh, it's usually a... Um, it's it's a diminutive of uh, Francisco. Oh. Uh, and Chico, the word just means uh, usually it means small, but in 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 the vernacular, it, it's used to mean like boy. Mm-hmm. You know, like yes, the Chico. You, you know, you would say that boy. That's the Chico, and it's um, you know, it's it's um, in Spanish. The diminutive is used a lot as a term of endearment. Hmm. So to call someone Chico would not. That would actually be uh, very friendly. Okay, <laughs> you know, it, right. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be derogatory at all. Well, I, I was one of the ones in, that Max referenced earlier that I had never seen it before. Now I had heard of it, but I had never seen it. And so during lunch today, I sat down and watched uh, about fifteen minutes of an episode. And you're right, the chemistry between Chico and um, I, uh, the man—I can't remember the character's yeah. name—they're um, yeah. it, great. I mean, they are hilarious together. I mean, they're mm-hmm. genuinely funny. And I, I found myself really enjoying. Now, is it you know, was I laughing? At hysterically spitting food across the room. I was laughing so hard. No, but I mean, it was good seventies sitcom humor. It was fun. I definitely watch more of it. Yeah, it's super solid, and it's a it's a shame. I mean, obviously, it's a shame uh, that that whatever was going on in, in Freddie Prince's life caused him to do that. But you know, it's also a shame that they couldn't uh, figure out a way to keep it going because you know they did everything. They brought in the kid. They brought in uh, they brought in Shadow. <laughs> you know, um, of to, course to, they to did. Across, the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she came in as a as a semi regular. Uh, cast member and but they just couldn't save it it was like you like you were saying uh the the chemistry between ed and and uh and chico was just so solid you know and and once that's taken away it becomes really obvious how the show is kind of hobbled mm. but it's but it's still worth watching i mean it's um and it's but you know yeah i would definitely recommend uh the first two and a half seasons when freddie prince is still there because he's you know freddie prince was a was a stand-up comedian and uh this i think this was like his first big break his first role hmm. and uh yeah he just he brings it Awesome. Now, I, I know, Cisco, you said you hadn't seen it before. Rob, do you remember the show? No, I didn't. I remember hearing about it, but I think it came and went before I was really cognizant of, of television. I will say, Max, just follow up. Um, there's a miniseries on uh, the Showtime streaming channel about the Comedy Store, mm-hmm. a documentary series, and it gets gives you all this backstory on Freddie Prinze uh-huh. of how, what a, like, what a rocket ride he was on at the Comedy Store. And then, you know, all of his other friends at his level were still kind of plugging away at comedy. And then bang, he got like the Tonight Show. 
mm-hmm. and did one night with Johnny Carson, and the next day got a sitcom. Yeah, like in those was, days, that's, that's all wow. it took. You know, yeah. if you were on Johnny Carson, that was that was your yeah. ticket. Yeah, Johnny Carson literally. They have a clip of him, Johnny Carson, literally saying to him, "I think you're going to have a bright future." I mean, you're just like wow. he's just been anointed on television as mm-hmm. the next big thing, and then of course he couldn't handle it because we see what happened to him. But so, if anybody ever has the show, nobody has the Showtime streaming app. But if you do, there's a, a pretty good <laughs> miniseries about the comedy stories. Very interesting about giving interviews about people from the 70s as they were coming up through the world of comedy. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing all that, Max. Now, speaking of people that were anointed by Johnny Carson himself, Siskoid, uh, why don't you tell us your pick? <laughs> uh, well, you're right about the 70s being, you know, when we saw ourselves on television and in film. So mine is uh, Space 1999. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to do, I had two picks, right? One for the 70s and one for the 80s. One was going to be quality. The other one was going to be nostalgia. And this is very much the case. So Space 1999 is a Jerry Anderson series. Uh, ran from 75 to 77, two seasons. Uh, in which, if you have never seen it, uh, in which the moon gets knocked out of orbit by an explosion in the year 1999 and spins out of control into a wormhole, I guess, and then into deepest uncharted space. Uh, like the moon becomes a spaceship in a way. It, it primarily starred Martin Landau and Barbara Bain together again after leaving Mission Impossible. Uh, uh, they are Alpha Base's commander and its doctor. And in the second season, they added Catherine Schell, a beautiful woman probably, as Maya. <laughs> I get an, that joke. <laughs> yeah, an, an alien uh, who could change into other people and animals. So basically the camera would go right into her eye and then you'd see the form she wanted to take and then it would pull out and she would be that creature or that person. Um, really captured my imagination, that kind of stuff. I originally watched that, this in French. It was called Cosmos 1999. Cosmos being the second time it's And I love the music. I think the music is one of the best kind of disco, space disco things on television at the time and ever. I love the spaceships, the concept. Maya was really cool. Uh, and I also remember my, my mind being blown that a, uh, like a Mission Impossible couple was in these other roles concurrently. Like for me, it was concurrent because like I said, just like, like 60s TV is running as, as if it's new as well in French. So, um, so like I could watch this couple on two shows at the same time. And they couldn't be more different, but at the same time, kind of the same. And, of course, they were a couple in real life. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, it, yeah, for me, it's pure nostalgia. I bought the DVD box set uh, and watched and reviewed every episode a few years ago. And a lot of it is like watching the worst episodes of Star Trek's third season. <laughs> Ouch! That's faint uh, praise. <laughs> uh, but it has some great peaks as well. It's like it starts. It starts like each start of a season is, is kind of oh, what's going on, and then it's it's got real peaks. Um, and yeah, you know, it just wasn't consistent. It looks pretty great though. Uh, good mo- model work, good atmospheric sets. Uh, the science is really bonkers at times, especially like I mean, we're on the moon and it's our spaceship kind of stuff. Um, but it looks more like a procedural, like we're watching. Like they were thinking, what would NASA be like in 25 years? So um, the second season is especially weird. Uh, like they retcon it. They change the sets. Like they change the base and they change the uniforms and they remove some cast members and put other ones in their place. And it's like, how did this happen? Um, because, you know, you're, you're in a closed environment with this with this premise. Um, but, uh, but still like, I can't recommend the second season as strongly. Like the first half of that season is is really terrible, but the first season had Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, 
like in the first three or four episodes, those guys show up. It was shot in the UK, so there's a lot of familiar faces. You've got, uh, you know, Paul Jones, Brian Blessed, Julian Glover, Ian McShane, Joan Collins, Patrick Troutman is in the last episode. This is, and, this is a great cast. George Lucas, well, I mean, they're, they're guest stars. Um, George Lucas visited the production and stole the opening Star Destroyer shot. Uh, from Space 1999 as well. So when you, you know, you're you watching and you're going, what's that shot? Is it after or before Star Wars? And it's before, of course. Oh. Uh, and Shag, Terrence Dix wrote an episode even. So there's another oh, Doctor connection. Man. I think it's a lot of fun. Like watching the series today, it really, the part of it is catching all these famous stars kind of slumming it in science disco, <laughs> I would say. But just like that, that musical opening, it's even a little bit like Mission Impossible because you know how Mission Impossible starts and you see scenes from that episode well the, the like the first season had like that that sort of trailer-ish uh, opening where they would change the scenes and it was like really percussive uh, so uh, i feel like rob should be playing this music right now or at some point during the show because it's it's, it's such a cool theme the, the the season one theme well rob you did a power records episode on space 1999 didn't you we did yeah it was very exciting i i watched that show too because it was a space show i liked anything with outer space i can't say that it, i think it can't i want when Star Wars came along afterwards. I was like, oh yeah, this is my thing. Because Space 99 is, at the time, I thought was pretty boring. <laughs> it was just very, but watching, uh, I'm going back and watched a few episodes and it was actually, it was a lot better than I sort of remembered. And the power records are, are a blast. Yeah. I think it's better when it's doing procedural. Like, what would it be to, to be trapped uh, you know, 300 people on a base in space. How, how would that feel? Uh, and uh, they, they did some episodes like that. But then when they would go to like, you know, like the moon is close enough to a planet where it's, where it's going to, you know, that we can do planet of the week kind of stuff, mm-hmm. monster of the week. And there, sometimes it wasn't so good. <laughs> I admit it. But to like to me, when I'm thinking of the 70s and sitting in front of a TV, that's the show I imagined. That's the show I was watching. So I, I have some facts. I've never seen the show myself, <clears throat> but I have some facts about the show. And I'm, unfortunately, I'm dipping ahead a little bit, Cisco. So forgive me that I'm stealing something you were going to mention later. Um, UFO, which which was another Jerry Anderson series, which I only started watching just last year, by the way. It's from the, the late 60s, early 70s. It is a phenomenal freaking show. But if I understand correctly, they were developing – they did UFO, and then they tried to develop a second season for either for the United States or just a second season in general, and it all fell apart. And all of the model work they had developed for UFO season two became the models for Space 1999, if I remember correctly. I I don't know, but Jerry Anderson really does. But you, if you watch the shows, any shows he's made, there is a lot of poaching from other sources or from his own, you know, uh, garage. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah, no, he was very good at. You know, because UFO, and I'm, I haven't seen it, but UFO is basically, you know, Thunderbirds live action. You know, that's what, that's what it looks like. So, um, he was, he was good at assembling these kinds of things and like reusing things or reusing concepts in some way. Um, you know, if you like, if you watch like Time Tunnel, it's like the, the, the premise is let's just go into the warehouse and get whatever costumes, historical costumes. And that's our episode. Let's use, <laughs> you know, let's use footage from old movies that, that feature that time period that's that's what it is it's like you, you can actually tell which movies it is if you if you've watched 
enough that's historical funny. movies. Yeah. Well, I just found the details. Yeah, it says that uh, UFO was in the UK and it did very, very well. And it did very well in the United States as well. So they started developing a second series for the US and that's what became Space 1999. But um, I, I got to check out Space 1999 now because I am absolutely in love with UFO. So if it's even half as good, that, that'd be fantastic. Now, it's probably half as good. <laughs> <laughs> Max, Max, you're incredibly quiet. Did you ever watch this show? You know, I never did. And I don't know how I might have, how I would have missed it because I loved sci-fi in the 70s. I still do. You know, I, I still watch all this stuff. And I don't know if you guys have like MeTV and that sort of thing. Uh, oh, yeah. where you guys are. But they play a lot of this stuff. So I've, you know, I've been watching it and I... You know, Cisco, you you had me at Brian Blessed. <laughs> <laughs> you got to watch Blake Seven for Brian Blessed. Net, Brian Blessed now, man. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, no, there there was just uh, you know, it's uh, the the seventies were a good time for genre stuff. I think um, you know, like, like I was saying earlier about crime shows and you know, and also about you know these sci fi fantasy stuffs because you know there was Arc Two and uh, you know. Battlestar Galactica and, you know, Space 99 and 1999 and, you know, just a, a bunch of stuff that was out there. Not, you know, a lot of it was not great, but it was better than, you know, nothing. <laughs> and, and everything, everything at least was imaginative and kind of trying to build on something. And uh, you know, as as a as a as a young person, just getting into sci-fi, I loved it. It's kind of a placeholder because you you've got you know Star Trek ends in the late '60s, and then you you know you're waiting for Star Wars in '77. Mm. So what's in between? And Logan's the, Run, baby. Logan's, Logan's run. run. Yeah, the yeah. Logan's Run TV show, that kind of stuff. Man from Atlantis. But <laughs> I, I, oh, I'm no. not sure about the dates. But the um, you know, it, it's just like what is the big science fiction show in between those? I think it's space. 1999 mm-hmm. as as far as like an original concept and a memorable Memorable everything. That's that's what it is. It's like not memorable stories, but memorable characters, memorable designs, memorable ships, memorable music. You know, that's like to me, that's that's seventies sci-fi on TV. And then after Star Wars, we we get things that are inspired by Star Wars much more. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, and along that line, I remember watching uh, the Planet of the Apes TV show <laughs> after after the after the movies came out. Sure. And I was a big Apes fan. You know, so that that was that was gravy for me. See, I would have. I would have played that one, but I uh, I only watched it in reruns on TBS, so I didn't feel like mm-hmm. I could count it. So, um, all right. So my pick is a little more generic. Uh, I, I I went with Happy Days, which you know everyone's like, okay, whatever. But I started the reason why is I started thinking about the show. You know, initially when you think Happy Days, it, everyone watched it. It was everywhere. I went for ten years, and you know it was funny. And everyone loves the characters and everything. And apparently, I read today that um, the Fonz was the single most merchandised character of the 1970s which I had no idea. But then I started thinking more about Happy Days and like, okay, it's actually kind of a weird concept. It's following this white suburban family in the 1950s and they take in a border. They take in Fonzie who is literally from the wrong side of the tracks. He's a hoodlum and they take him in and let him live in their house, which I don't know that I would take in someone that I, you know, look at and think, okay, you know, this guy's bad news. I want him living near my daughter and son. Okay, sure thing. And, but it just works. And then you forget about that part of it and he's just part of the family. Family. And, and and I started, okay, I got to share some of this history because I started looking at this thing. It's really interesting. 
because also the show the show shouldn't work for another reason because it's basically a spinoff of a movie really right it's a spinoff of American Graffiti and how often does that usually work when someone tries to mimic a, a movie and turn it into a TV series well this one's even worse it's actually a snake eating its own tail because in 1972 there's this unsold TV pilot starring Ron Howard and it's basically the same premise as Happy Days well it didn't it didn't go anywhere George Lucas sees this pilot then hires Ron Howard for his American Graffiti based on the unsold pilot then because of American Graffiti, Ron Howard gets back into it and they reinvigorate the pilot. It becomes Happy Days. Literally, this thing just feeds itself. It's crazy. It's like a <laughs> perpetual energy machine. Wow. So, and then I start thinking about, okay, so the show, another aspect of the show is it's from the 1957, I want to say, is when it starts or something like that, right? So it was 20 years in the past. So right now, that would t- be like today doing a sitcom about like, I don't know, the year 2000 and like the <laughs> y two, Y2K and the dot-com bubble and the 2000 presidential election recount and unfortunately 9-11 and everything like that. But it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel that long ago but when i was a kid happy days felt like it took place a million years ago i think it's just because culturally the 50s and the 70s are hugely different and i think most of us think the 2001 and 2021 doesn't seem that big difference culturally i guess technology technologically it is because there's no cell phones or stuff well i guess they're just beginning to be cell phones. yeah they were yeah. I, yeah, I, the, I big, the big nostalgia right now is the 90s yeah so, yeah God. So I, I think that's the <laughs> comparison 30 year 30 year gap instead of 20 year gap all right it could yeah. be could be well well even so a happy days went into the 80s and by that time we're, we're talking about 30 years yeah so uh, before before uh happy days started getting silly with the whole like like mark from work cameos and that sort of thing <laughs> the you know it was one one thing that because i watched the hell out of happy days i watched right. a lot of happy days yeah and you know that was the first time i saw pat Morita. you know yep. that was you know all those things but they were really good i think about keeping it in the 50s you know i don't remember ever seeing any anachronisms that took me out of it i don't remember any mm. language that sounded like because now sometimes especially with movies you'll i'll watch movies that are supposed to be set you know in the 70s or the 60s whenever and uh the hair's wrong or the they say something that people say now but they wouldn't have said back then mm. you know that sort of thing that takes me out of it and i don't think happy days i don't remember happy days ever doing that i think it was always very much its own world i, I think that's fair uh and i can't i guess they slid into the 60s at some point i mean the show was on the air for 10 years and they had to recognize people getting older so they must have continued to scale forward to the 60s but yeah it always seemed to be appropriate to where they were and the only re- you mentioned mork that's the only reference i can remember because mork in one episode is talking to him and he's from the 70s and so he's like you're from the future he's like yeah he goes what who's president in the future he's like well do you like peanuts he's like yeah well you'll like jimmy i mean that's that's i, I don't know i remember that joke all these years later um and and you know since, since we mentioned mork so this show had an insane amount of spinoffs okay uh, there's the obvious ones laverne and shirley sure there's mork and mindy which was a spinoff at first i was thinking maybe it wasn't but no it mork was just a character who appeared one time and then came back uh and that's when the spinoff happened then there was you know there's the cartoons if you think about it there's fonzie and the happy days gang which is a cartoon there's a laverne and shirley cartoon there's a mork and mindy cartoon then you get joni loves chachi and then mm. in my research today there's two more spinoffs i never even heard yeah. of i know one of them i know what you're gonna say really okay blank skis beauties yeah blansky's beauties <laughs> is that okay isn't that um mr cunningham's sister or something like that or some crazy thing something like that yeah but it had, pat Mar- it had pat Morita on it and scott Bayo. 
Oh my gosh. Wow. And then there's another one called Out of the Blue, which is apparently debatable whether it's actually a spinoff or whether it was just a crossover. They're, cause it's, I don't it's not worth talking about. But anyway, it was another one that's just crazy. And you know, over the years, they, they did a lot, they had to do a lot. They had to replace Richie. They replaced him with Cousin Roger, which stood up Ted McGinley as the person who always steps in to replace people. Um, they replaced Arnold with Al and all these things. And for me though, like, obviously I remember the laughs. I remember all the fun, but there was some suspenseful episodes too. Like I remember, you know, when Fonzie was going to do a big motorcycle motorcycle stunt when he would like, you know, whether it be jump a bunch of buses or jump the shark, which I think this episode did about 10 minutes ago. And then, or, um, well, there was one episode and this like genuinely scared me as a kid. Uh, they end up getting mixed up with a mob, you know, like the mafia and they, I know you're laughing, but they blow up Fonzie's garage and Fonzie's in it. And oh, that was the, that, that yeah. was the episode. Like that's how the episode ended. And I remember I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting for right here, guys. Seriously. Uh, I remember Richie standing outside screaming, Fonzie. And like, I was convinced the Fonz was dead. I was like, Oh my God, it was scary. They, you know, this comedy, this family friendly comedy, somebody got hurt. Now you find out the next episode, Fonzie survived because he hid behind his little black book, uh, which was the size of like, a, a, you know, I don't know, like 10 feet tall or something, whatever. That's the gag. But I mean, I was genuinely scared by that. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's it, again, it's like you think happy days and it's just like white bread, silly comedy, but there was more to it. I mean, it was really a big, big show for 10 years. And this is, and this is not a knock at all on Henry Winkler because he's a, a, a very fine comedic actor, but you see him now, right? And if you try to explain hmm. to like a teenager that in the 70s, that guy was the coolest thing that <laughs> ever walked on earth. You, people, a kid would look at you like, you're, get the hell out of here. That, no, no, that was not him. And you're like, no, he really was. Yeah, the guy from Arrested Development, not only was he sexy and cool, he was a tough guy. By the way, you, <laughs> since you mentioned Arrested Development, we have to give that show props because when he guessed it on that show, because we all remember he was the lawyer, yeah. he was a bad lawyer, mm-hmm. Barry Zuckercorn, there's an episode where he literally jumps over a shark. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that. Okay. <sighs> Well, he brings Scott Bayo in too, you know, I mean, for good or worse, whatever. I mean, the show yeah, gave us a lot at of the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, but you think about whose careers explode Henry Winkler. He becomes a major producer, by the way. You know, he, he was the man behind, uh, the star, um, MacGyver and stuff like that. So you get Ron Howard's career, obviously explode. Now he had been on, uh, Mayberry, but this is really where his first time he got a chance to act as an adult. Tom Bisley went on forever. Ted McGinley, Pat, you mentioned Pat Morita. I mean, this the show, ugh, anyway, I just, it, there was, it was a lot deeper than I expected it to be when I started thinking about it. All right, I could go on like this forever. So, Rob, why don't you tell us your pick for the 70s show? Okay, so my pick uh, is Barney Miller. We already mentioned Barney oh. Miller. It ran from 1975 to 1982. Uh, part of the reason that we, I mean, look, I was about to say, I you said earlier that I'm not going to mention MASH, but that's not true. MASH is going to come up a couple times because it's just <laughs> ramming in my mind. But, but the reason I, I say that is because, to me, Barney Miller is the cop version of MASH in that it's a show that had highbrow comedy, it had lowbrow comedy, it had wonderful performances, brilliant writing. I'll talk about that in a second. But I was of an age where I didn't really understand a good chunk of the humor because it was above what, you know, that show was not meant for a seven-year-old, but I enjoyed it. I have a story about that, by the way. Okay. I didn't, I didn't, but I, I kind of like leaned into it. Like it made me want to understand the humor that my parents were laughing at so uproariously. And part of the reason that we watched it is because, and I think I've mentioned this in other shows, is one of the writers on that show was a guy named Noam Pitlick, who was an actor. Uh, He was in the 
graduate. He's been in some of the movies. That was his name. My dad it's like, went. It sounds to, like Mr. 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 Mitchell plicks his name backwards. It does. It sound like that. <laughs> but my dad went to high school with him. Uh uh-uh. Central High in Philadelphia, and so my dad would always remark, "Oh, that was." And every so often, you'd see an episode, and it would say, "Written by Noam Pitlick," and we would be like, "Oh wow, that's good." The, the, the guy my dad knew, and it, I mean, it's in the cast: Hal Linden as Barney Miller. So you had Max Gale as Wojciechowicz, Ron Glass as Detective Harris, Steve Landisberg was Dietrich, who's kind of the nerdy cop, and then you had Jack Sue as Detective Yamada, and then James Gregory, the great James Gregory as Inspector Luger, who was like a recurring character. Abe Vigoda as Fish, which ended up with his own spinoff. Forgot to say Gregory Gregory Sierra, who just passed away a couple of days ago as uh, Detective Chana. So it was like he had all these sort of ethnic New York City cops and it was just I love the show it was just really brilliantly done very very funny had it could be really big and then be really smart it did again and there was an episode where like um somebody laced a bunch of brownies with pot and everybody in the precinct got stoned and it's like <laughs> I didn't get any of those jokes but it was and so it was a, just a really and it also it had one of the greatest TV themes ever it had this wonderful bass theme that was like the coolest thing ever. And so I just, we, we never miss an episode. And I can remember watching the last episode. That's always how I know how much I love the show is like, how much did the last episode leave a mark? And I can still remember the final scene of the last episode of how it played out, even though I have not seen Barney Miller in like the 35 years since. Oh, wow. I, uh, but uh, you mentioned, I got to say, Abe Vigoda. One of the famous things on the internet was there was a website for many, many years called Is Abe Vigoda Alive? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> it ran for quite a while until finally. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, my story about this show, real quick, is you said it, the show wasn't appropriate for a seven-year-old. So I told you earlier, my dad worked for ABC. Well, every year he'd go to these big conventions where he would meet all these celebrities from ABC and sometimes other networks that might be there as well. And he met Hal Linden. And he told Hal Linden how much his daughter enjoyed the show. And he said, oh, wow, that's great. How old is she? Seven years old. <laughs> Hal Linden then told my father, my daughter, or his, or my sister should not be watching the show. So when you say <laughs> a seven-year-old should not be watching the show, Hal Linden agreed. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's just great. But, and I should, by the way, I should mention, I was looking through some of the writers. A lot of the writers credited on Barney Miller are MASH writers or mm. vice versa. So there's a lot of overlap between uh, those two creative teams. I thought they great. By the way, I saw the other day that there was a a bar- there was a Barney Miller board game. I had no idea <laughs> that existed or why it exists because again it wasn't for kids. But now I have to have it. I have to have the Barney Miller. Board. <laughs> Barney so for- Miller was a was a fantastic show. And when when I used to watch it, you know, it was the same thing. I was too young. A lot of it went right over my head. Uh, I remember we had a, a fondness for fish just because he looked a lot like my grandfather. <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, but I, that's another th- another show. I mean, I watched it then. But I've been watching it recently because, you know, the reruns. And uh, that is just a really brilliant show. And I didn't realize that there were so many writers for MASH, but it totally makes sense. Where is it available? I haven't been able to find it. Where is it? Is it on a streaming service somewhere? No, it's on cable. It's on one of those me or Ion or... Oh, wow. Okay. Antenna. Okay. I'll have to check. But yeah, it's it's on some... It's on some channel I usually just flip past, but yeah. That's awesome. It's out there, That's yeah. That's great. I'm glad, I'm glad it still has some sort of creative life in mm-hmm. 2021. That's really cool. So for a lot of people who didn't see this show, because if you weren't around then, like you said, it just hasn't been that uh, available. If I remember right, wasn't the premise that they the entire series never left uh, the precinct? Sort of like Cheers always took place in the bar, or 99% of the time took basically, place in the bar? Basically, yeah. It was all, basically all in the precinct. Okay. I don't, Now the I'm thinking about it. I can't remember a scene they ever did 
outside, except in the opening credits where we see every, we see Barney literally walking to, to his job. But, but yeah, I, I, yeah, they got a lot of stories out of just that one main set. And there was a jail cell. Like they did an episode where there was a guy who wants to get arrested because he thinks he's a werewolf and he's like, <laughs> okay. I need to be locked up. And so they lock him up and then it, you know, turns midnight and he's like howling and pulling at the bars and stuff like that. I mean, again, and then, um, you mentioned Alice, Linda Lavin. She was like basically the only recurring female character on that show that was a cop. She was on the show. She wasn't like, she wasn't on the whole run, but she was on it at some point. I think she probably left to go do Alice at a certain point, but it was just, it was just a really smart show. Really funny. And again, it's like, I, you know, I liked a lot of dumb stuff when I was a kid too. I, I already mentioned Battle of the Network Stars, but I, I liked shows that I felt like there was more for me to understand or that there was things I didn't quite get. And so Barney Miller was that kind of show. And I just, I, I watched every single show. I don't think I ever missed an episode. <laughs> Hal Lynn is a great actor. He's really exceptional. He's still with us too. Still around? Oh, that's awesome. Barney Miller cast. I see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> be, be careful. Be careful. What you, what you wish for. I'm starting the Twitter feed right now. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised it took this long. All right, everybody, take off your wing collars and put on your checkerboard uh, vans because we are going to the 80s now, folks. We are going to step into the 1980s TV shows, and we're going to do that thing where we rattle off a list of shows. So, Siskoid, we're going to start with you, buddy. Let's hear what you got. Yeah. You know, I had a TV show in the 80s myself as a teenager. Like I, with you, I never know if you're pulling my leg or not. Are I'm you not, serious? Not pulling, like yeah. public access kind of thing? Public access. We was it, like, was it called Wayne's World? It was no, it was not. No, it was like a French thing. Uh, but it was like a variety show. We had interviews, and I did like the movie reviews. Uh, with uh, we, we had like a sort of uh, <laughs> Siskel and Ebert thing going, where I was <laughs> sort of the cinephile, and the uh, my partner uh, she was more into uh, like Kirk Cameron's uh, hot, you know, <laughs> kind of reviews. Um, <laughs> That is, and, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> didn't it? But um, yeah, I, I, I used to do that, and we did like a bit of sketch comedy, and you know. So I, please yeah. tell me this exists somewhere, Siskoid. Please recorded, please. My the like the main like the the, the guy that did the interviews, uh, still a good friend of mine, but he's living in Montreal. Says he has the tapes, and that <laughs> it's only a matter of time before he digitizes them. I don't Woo-hoo. know. But, of course, it's in French. Uh, and it's very 80s in the sense that uh, we're kind of doing Saturday Night Live in a way. We're sort of doing the, to- the the Tonight Show and Letterman, which, you know, for me, the 80s was the time when I, I got to go to bed later. And so <laughs> a lot of late night TV was in my diet. Um, but uh, also the sweaters. The, the sweaters are very 80s. <laughs> I cannot think of a better use of our Patreon money than the getting that guy to digitize <laughs> Then you could do like you could you could dub over it, Cisco, so we'd be all know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I, I I the only real I mean I remember some of the sketches we did and it was like it was kind of it was kind of like Doctor Who on a budget, uh, which is already on a budget. So. I was going to say uh, Doctor Who had no budget. That's got to be pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, no. I remember making a an alien out of uh, bubble wrap. So oh, there, uh, that is very Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you. So yeah, so so I had a show in the '80s, so I know what it was kind of like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, um, a lot of a lot of '80s shows actually started in the late '70s, and the ones that, many of them that you named, I started watching in the '80s. Mm. Um, so, so you know, like The Love Boat and The Incredible Hulk, and uh, there there was a problem with Fant- Fantasy Island and. Um, 
Dukes of Hazard for me because we're an hour later in the in the Maritimes, and that meant that my mom would never let us watch Fantasy Island after Love Boat and or Dukes of Hazard after The Incredible Hulk. <gasps> oh, and no. one of the reasons is that she disliked those shows, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> another is that after Incredible Hulk, we were jumping on the couch and roaring, and you know we were playing Hulk. <laughs> so it's like go to bed. I cannot stand this anymore. But it was already ten by that time. <laughs> For us, prime Super time Hero, started Superheroes are a bad influence. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, so Chips and WKRP and Different Strokes and Facts of Life and Heart to Heart, they all started, kind of started in the 70s, but tail end. And so I went to, you know, MASH is in there, Three's Company, Happy Days. That, to me, you know, they were 80s shows because that's when I started watching them. Um, but there are pure 80s shows that are almost impossible to list. Like, I can't list the whole thing because TV was all we had and we watched a lot of it. Like, a VCR entered our house in 1989. So uh, we just watched TV. So all the sitcoms everyone watched uh, at the time, TJ Hooker, Hunter, Sledgehammer, Cagney and Lacey, MacGyver, L.A. Law. Who didn't watch L.A. Law? Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Um, there were a lot of Vietnam dramas. There were a lot of interest in Vietnam at the time. China Beach being like a stellar example. Tour of Duty, we watched a lot. Uh, a lot of P.I. shows like Magnum and Simon and & Simon and The Fall Guy and Remington Steel and Moonlighting and The Equalizer and Spencer for Hire. And our of course, I love genre shows. Uh, this is where I got into 70s and 80s Doctor Who. Belatedly, Monty Python as well. So, you know, time watching reruns. But uh, TNG came on the air while, uh, you know, uh, Voyagers, that time travel show that didn't last long. Yeah. Yeah. Auto Man, Manimal, Mistress of Science, Knight Rider, Airwolf, Max Hedrum, you know, V, the series, Beauty and the Beast even. So a lot of, a lot of that is objectively crap but <laughs> but there, i don't know there's like something about the 80s where they they like really big like they were big on high concept ideas for those kind of genre shows uh you know there, there's no higher concept than like auto man or let's just do another night rider ripoff this time it's a bike you know there's a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on in the 80s uh, man, you, you nailed some of mine as well. So, all right, I'm next here. So, again, I mentioned uh, my parents worked for TV stations. I mean, I just watched TV all the freaking time. So I, I broke them down into, like, different categories again. So I'll rattle these off here. Um, uh, the Cosby Show, one of the most you know present shows throughout the 80s. Now, it, maybe there's certain aspects that didn't age well, certainly, but you can't deny the power the show had at the time. So, you know, in, in that whole Thursday night lineup, was it Cosby Show, Cheers, Night Court? I, I want to say Family Ties was in there at one point as well. Uh, Bosom Buddies. Anyone remember that with Tom Hanks? Oh, Hayes. yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. It's on my list. Of- All right. Facts of Life. Uh, Benson. I loved I, – I watched the crap out of Benson. I love that. I never watched Soap until reruns, but Benson I watched first run. Um, sure. Police Squad. Alf. Even though even though Alf wasn't – I will say, Alf, even back then I knew Alf wasn't very good. I liked the animated series better, but that's a Saturday morning. We can't mention that. Uh, Head of the Class. Um, Murphy Brown. New Heart. Uh, I never watched the old New Heart until reruns, but uh, the, that, this New Heart I watched. Uh, perfect. Perfect Strangers, which, oh my gosh, uh, Too Close for Comfort. And I watched a show called Valerie. When she left the show, they had to change <laughs> the name of the show to the Hogan family. And I liked it better when she was gone. Um, Coach, I watched Silver Spoons for f- far too many episodes than I probably should have. I was really just watching it for Aaron Gray. Um, it's the Gary Shandling Show. Watched a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cisco, I mentioned Sledgehammer. Dude, I had the season finale of uh, season one taped, and I watched the season finale over and over and over and over. It was just 
hysterical. Another little show that didn't last very long called It's Your Move, which was uh, starring Jason Bateman. A, yes, a very, very, very young Jason Bateman. I love that show. Then moving into sort of the dramas, uh, we watched a lot of Miami Vice, a lot of Miami Vice, uh, maybe because we're in Florida. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's the rule. Uh, Riptide, Amazing Stories, Twilight Zone. Riptide. I watched a lot. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I watched more Highway to Heaven than I realized when I started thinking about it. Star Trek Next Generation, uh, Remington Steel, Quantum Leap, Moonlighting. I had the musical episode of Moonlighting I, I recorded on the VCR. I watched that thing over and over and over as well. L.A. Law. You know, Siskoid, I found out my wife did not watch L.A. Law. It turns out that apparently you're either a di- L.A. Law or a Dynasty fan. I guess you can't be both. Uh, I, I thought it was, it would be, I was both. Oh. I thought it would be L.A. Law or Matlock. Your choice. <laughs> um, crime Story. There was a hell of a great series. Uh, yeah, that's, was that was great. so good. Wise Guy. Uh, Midnight Caller. Stingray, which I wish I could find episodes of that. I probably should look on it on YouTube. I haven't looked. I loved Stingray. And then Max Headroom. I recorded every episode of Max Headroom and watched it over and over and over and over. Now, this next group, I just call these action adventure, but you could, the lines sort of blur with drama or action adventure or high concept, like Cisco said. Uh, A-Team, Auto Man. I put Dukes of Hazard in the 80s for me, not the 70s. Um, the Fall Guy. Uh, we all know Chris could sing the song for us. Um, Greatest American Hero. Uh, Hardcastle McCormick. Knight Rider. MacGyver. I actually had a poster of MacGyver on my wall for many, many years. Uh, Phoenix, which was a, a little show, only lasted five episodes, and it was starring Judson Scott, uh, the guy who, who was uh, Khan's kid in Star Trek II. And I watched, I, I loved this show, and I to pretend I was him. It only lasted five episodes, but it stuck with me. Voyagers, Tales of the Gold Monkey, uh, V, the series, because the visitors are our friends. And of course, Misfits of Science. I did not watch Dallas or Dynasty or Magnum P.I. or Airwolf. I didn't watch any of that stuff. I watched all this other crap. All right, Rob, what do you got, buddy? Well, yeah, I mean, Siskoid already went through a lot of the ones I watched from Remington Steel. I watched L.A. Law. I watched Till Street Blues. I certainly watched all the Thursday night shows on NBC. That became such a thing. Uh, he mentioned China Beach. China Beach is a marvelous show. It's brilliant. I rewatched it a couple of years ago, and I was just, God, I was like, I was like, how did this last? The show is so good. How did mm. it last on network television? It was so uh, sort of far ahead of its audience at that point. It was, or most of network television. It's just a brilliant, brilliant show. Bosom Buddies, you mentioned. I love that show. I watched every episode because that's a show that wasn't that good because it was pretty dumb humor. But mm-hmm. the, the two leads, Hanks and Scalari, are so good that they elevate the show. You know, yeah. like they're just so good. They're so funny. They're so charming. And you could you could see that it was like, oh, yeah, these guys are going to go places. And it's sort of funny. You mentioned Newhart. Peter Scalari was actually first out of the gate after Bosom Buddies in terms of like becoming a big star because he became a co-star in Newhart. And Tom Hanks like had not really done all that much. And the man with think, one red shoe. Yeah, the man. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Well, this is even before that, like before Splash even. And so, you know, people at the time probably thinking, oh, yeah, I don't know what this Hanks guy is, but Scolari, he's going places. You know, and you're like, all right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Bosom Buddies was terrific. Um, I remember being a loyal watcher of the A-Team. Mm-hmm. I watched the A-Team left and right. And now when I think about it, that means since I watched the A-Team, I was not watching Aftermash. <gasps> Aftermash was up against the A-Team. So I apologize, everybody. Part of the reason Aftermash was canceled because I didn't watch it. Really <laughs> um, there was a, I watched the new, the new Twilight Zone. That mm-hmm. was a brilliant, that was a show that aired on like Friday nights. And because I was not dating, uh, of course, I was staying home watching it. And I felt like no one else was watching it but me. Uh, it was just brilliant. Perhaps like, to me, on par with the original show. And that is saying something. It was there were a lot of those, right? Amazing stories. Yeah. There was, well, that was the new other, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. There was, well, oh, yeah. Was, mm-hmm. I was about to mention, there was another one that nobody remembers called Dark Room. 
It only ran for it ran on You're ABC, correct. <laughs> right. It ran on ABC. It only ran seven episodes. And James Coburn was the host. And the whole thing was he would tell stories from a dark room, a photographic dark room. And he would develop pictures of like the guest. And he would say this person. Blah, blah, blah. And then he would tell the story and it would become an anthology. And I remember like every story was dark and like ended badly. Like it was like a black mirror <laughs> kind of thing and it fit in perfectly. And like no one remembers that show at all i can i'm looking at the imdb listing and it's like it was never released on dvd or even vhs like it just went completely down the memory hole but i watched that all the time too so i was like uh, yeah i mean moonlighting dallas i mean like i said i if for as much tv as i watched in the 70s i probably watched even more in the 80s and i also do remember watching this really obscure um canadian sketch show featuring these two nerds this boy and this girl i don't really remember what happened to it, <laughs> but i'm really really enjoying it. it was in french though right it was in french i didn't understand it but i you know, I kind of got the gist of it. <laughs> All right, Max, what about you? Let's hear your list from the 80s. You guys have really kind of hit everything, really. I mean, and I, I watched all of that, you know, everything that you guys have been mentioning. Uh, you know, I watched ALF. Uh, I watched WKRP, which actually started in 78 but went on into the 80s. I'm not sure exactly when it ended, but, you know, I was a big fan of WKRP. Uh, A-Team. I watched a lot of A-Team. Cagney and Lacey. Uh, 120 Minutes on MTV mm. uh, premiered in the in the 80s. Uh, Family Ties. Pee-wee's Playhouse. I was a, I, yeah. know it's, I know it's not prime time, but, I, you know, I was, uh, I was a Cheater. big fan. I know. Uh, Late Night with David Letterman. I, oh, I, I was yeah. So I was a huge yeah. fan of, of David Letterman, uh, especially in those days. Uh, Hill Street Blues was was a great show. Max Headroom, uh, Heart to Heart, actually, <laughs> which is a, a you know another kind of dumb crime show, but you know that that actually premiered in '79. But you know it's it's really more of an '80s, <laughs> more of an '80s show. Uh, I, I loved Heart to Heart, but I didn't catch it till a rerun, so I didn't put it on my list. Yeah, yeah that opening no. that opening credits. Of- when they met, it was, it was explosive. Murder. Oh, that's was murder. Murder. That's what it was. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> they, made, they, they even did a parody of it on Chuck. <laughs> this is no. hot. There's one lady who knows how to take care of herself. There it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is a great opening, isn't it? It really is. I, I should mention, that show was created by Tom Mankiewicz, the screenwriter of Superman the movie. So, Really? Wow. Some good stuff in there. It all comes back to Superman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, Max. We interrupted your list. I'm so sorry. No, no. That was, I mean, because like I said, I mean, if, if I went over everything, it would, it would basically be repeating everything you guys have said. I, it's, you know, it was, again, you know, I was, I was 10 in 1980 and I was watching a lot of TV and, you know, it was, and that was pretty, maybe more than, even more so than the seventies. It was, uh, it had a big impact on me because that's when I went from being a kid to a teenager. And so my, my television watching habits changed. Uh, and, but TV kind of changed along with it, you know, because that was when cable started and we had MTV and we had, uh, uh, you know, um, pay channels and um you know i I mentioned this on the on the um on the last show we did you know we were getting shows from la i mean tv from la so we were watching a lot of stuff from there and um yeah i mean it's just it was uh it was a fun time to be watching tv i know a lot of it was like so (laughs) over the top you know like miami vice and um because really, who has a, who has a crocodile as a, as a pet? But the, <laughs> we all do down here in Florida. What are you talking about? <laughs> you, just, well, you guys can just reach out in the car and grab one anytime you want. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's just um, yeah. It, it was it was a it was a strange uh, it was a strange time to be watching television. It was, and I, I think part of what it was is that a lot of TV got silly. Uh, kind of moving away from the more serious stuff that you would see in the 70s, the the really deep stuff that, that we were talking about. And a lot of it got, I guess, 
not dumb, but more surface. It was TV wasn't necessarily interested in being so deep all the time uh, because Americans weren't interested in being <laughs> deep <laughs> at that time. What did we have to be deep about, Max? Right. Ronald Reagan was president. Everything was yeah. great. We all wanted to ignore that. <laughs> Music was the same and movies were the same and it was just glossy 80s. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, it was that kind of time. Well, everyone's there's, – there's a certain age everyone defaults to, like around anywhere from 11 to 14. That's sort of their golden years. They say that about comic books, but it's that way about television. It's about that way about any kind of culture. Whatever you grew up with has a certain magic to it, whether it's good or not. Uh, you love it. Like a lot of the 80s stuff I recognize that, uh, that I just write off as crap. You know, A-Team is crap, but I don't care. I loved it, and it, it heck, it made me go watch uh, Man From U.N.C.L.E. because, you know, the later seasons had Robert Vaughn in it. You know, it's just it, – it all – is of peace and uh we, we just we get caught up in it we can't help it and nostalgia is a powerful thing so all right well that those are our big 80s list now we're going to get into everyone's going to talk about one selected show i'll go first here so my pick is a show called midnight caller now this show ran for three seasons and i, I kind of thought i was the only one that ever watched it uh turns out i, I put some on facebook the other day and uh got a lot of response i didn't know and honestly i didn't even remember it went three seasons to me it's like it was just kind of a one season thing but no it went for three seasons and the lead was gary cole now you, if you don't know who gary cole is <laughs> what are you laughing at hey peter what? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, Office Space is probably his most no- notable one. But if you ever saw Veep, I mean, the guy, if, if you just look at a picture of him, you're like, oh, gosh, he's been in everything. The guy is amazing. He's an he's amazing Brady character. in the Brady yeah. Bunch movies. <laughs> he's an amazing character actor. And this was his breakout role, really. And, and the concept was it took place in San Francisco. And he played Jack Killian, who was a former cop. And now he was a late night talk show radio host, like the overnight guy from midnight to 3 a.m. And he would take co- phone calls. Uh, people would ask questions about crime, police procedure, and how to protect yourself as a former cop. That's what he was brought in to do. And of course, because it's the 80s, you know, every episode, somebody calls him in and they're a criminal or something. Somehow he ends up getting caught up in some criminal case to solve every episode because that's how it was in the 80s. But the show was completely hung on Gary Cole's ability to carry it. And he was great. I mean, he's completely believable. You can't help but like the guy. He's flawed. He's a, you know, he's a recovering alcoholic. He he shot his partner by accident. He's got some dark crap in his life, but you can't help but like this guy and he carries it because in a lot of the show he's doing radio so it's just him talking into a microphone you know so he literally is carrying a scene by himself and uh, i was reading an interview with him about it where because you know each episode ends this is like the hallmark for me ends with a really deep thought moody dialogue from him where he's on the air and he's talking to people at home he's like hey you know take care of yourself think about the people that you love or that you've missed anyway it's, it was always deep it was always, i can't replicate it because i'm not deep you guys know me anyway um and so it was always powerful he's like sitting in a dark room talking on a microphone with a cigarette going and it just wow it just really really uh spoke to me now as an adult i sit here and think okay a guy sitting in a room by himself talking to a microphone hmm you can't imagine why that appeals to me right now <laughs> but um, I, I love the show. It, 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 again, it's, I watched uh, the, the pilot last night. It's not deep. Um, and there's a lot more prostitutes in it than I remembered. In fact, at one point, I got really uncomfortable. Like, I was afraid my wife was going to walk in the room and go, what the hell are you watching? You know, but um, anyway, I, I, I enjoy the show. And again, it's all on the back of Gary Cole's performance. He's really exceptional. And the, the supporting cast are great, too. Uh, but he's really powerful. Does, does anyone remember the show besides me? I remember it being on, but I never watched it. I remember the title. The, okay. the title yeah, yeah. image. <laughs> I, I, I remember the title, but I I really like Gary Cole. So it, it feels like something that I, if I could find, I I would watch. There's a bunch of it on YouTube. 
So I, I just found that out last night. So feel free to check out some of that. It's good. So, all right. Um, well, then let's move on to the next person. So that is going to be Rob. Let's tell us your pick, buddy. So, yeah, well, Cisco had already mentioned the show, but it's a tour of duty, uh, which ran for three seasons from 1987 to 1991. And it was about uh, Vietnam, a, a troop in Vietnam. And, you know, at the time, I was very interested in war stories and people that were sort of like, the, the, the again, MASH is coming up again. Uh, it was the idea of like people in a war and what they're dealing with, except this is all about soldiers. It featured, it was an hour-long drama. It featured a really great cast of Terrence Knox as uh, Sergeant Zeke Anderson, who was on Seen Elsewhere, another show I watched in the 80s that we haven't mentioned, which is a really great show. Stephen Caffrey, Tony Becker, uh, Miguel Nunez, an early pre-Batman Kevin Conroy as the... Oh, wow. Yeah, as the captain. Uh, it was just a hard, gritty show uh, full of, you know, I mean, and this is, you know, the 80s. America is trying to deal with the, the hangover over at Vietnam at this point. I mean, Platoon had been out. Uh, Full Metal Jacket had been out. I mean, the you know, entertainment was catching up to what uh, what America was feeling about the Vietnam War of, you know, 10, 12 years after it was over. And I thought the show was just really tough and unsentimental. It was not afraid to show soldiers as people in terms of, like, some of them were a little rough. You know, they weren't all just great guys and, you know, we salute your service. I mean, some of them were not great people, but that also shows the heroism. And it was not afraid to kill some characters off. It killed two of the cast members off midway through one of the first season, uh, which I thought was gutsy. Um, unfortunately, they realized at some point, obviously, that ratings were not what they wanted it to be. And in the third season, and this is something that happens with TV, we talked about, it's sort of like the bringing in the new guy on Chico and the Man, Max. Or in the third season, they decided to, like, sex to show up a little, mm. and they moved the, the, the platoon to, like, a base, and they became almost like special forces, and that allowed them to to bring in uh, women characters and not that like, oh, bringing in a woman is bad, but it was so clearly aimed at like, we got to get some women watching the show. So, oh, and then they brought in a new character who looked exactly like Tom Cruise and he was a chopper pilot and you just felt like, ah, oh, come on, they're watering it down. And then by the end of the season, it was canceled. Um, so unfortunately, it was a show that really got, I think, futzed with and then that, that killed it. But at least the first two seasons, I never missed an episode. I thought it was just really greatly acted. Budget, it looked great. I mean, it looked really big and it looked like they were actually in Vietnam as opposed to like in a black back lot in California somewhere. So yeah. I just thought it was a great show that just sort of came and went um, and I'll be mentioning it later on in the show for another section but I that was a show that I, I and it was I didn't know anybody else that watched it so it was one of those things I felt like it was mine because I was mm-hmm. like oh man tour duty this show's so good and I was like I'm like everybody ask friends you watching it they'd be like what's that part of it was <laughs> because when it debuted it aired up against the Cosby show on Thursday nights. Oh jeez. So CBS obviously was just like yeah Let's just throw this into the meat grinder. We can't run blank air. So let's just run that show. And nobody's going to watch. <laughs> was it after Platoon or was yes, it? Okay. After. All right. Because yeah. you mentioned Tom Cruise. And I was like, okay, obviously they're going for the Platoon kind of thing there. Okay. Was, was Gun, there any, Gun, was yeah. there any oh. overlap with China Beach? Is that why they, why they tried to? They, you know? I, I. I wouldn't be some, yeah, there was some, there was some overlap. China Beach came on the air while Tour Duty was wrapping up. So it wouldn't surprise me that they probably looked at that and were like, oh, you know what? We can maybe fit in some, some other kind of characters. And to, and to be fair, one of the things they did do that I thought was really cool was that when some of the characters got rotated home, they followed them. So the show would, would toggle between being in Vietnam and then following these people readjusting to life when they got home. And I thought that was really uh-huh. gutsy. So that, that was really, really cool that they, that they did that too. But it was just a show that just got you could tell like cbs just had no hopes for it and they just you back then again for people too young to remember the the notion of time slots 
Like that was a big deal. Oh yeah. You know, and if a show was thrown on the air against the hit show, you knew that the network didn't care about it. Like CBS did that to the flash. You know, they put the flash on up against the Cosby show. Cause it was like, ah, all right, nobody's going to watch this dumb thing. So let's put it on against a show. It's never going to win against. And you know, we used to watch the flash, you know, cause it was the flash for God's sake. So, but, and so tour duty got moved to Saturday nights. And that was, again, that was just the death knell of it. But man, at the time, that was a great show. I, I totally get the, the, the timing thing. Midnight caller was a, a, a Friday night show, which is why I thought I was the only one who watched it because everyone else had a life. Uh, <laughs> and Cisco and I both know very well the importance of timing because the Doctor Who movie in 96 ran up against Roseanne, which is why it never got picked up. So. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> were, 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 those, were those two audiences overlapping there? I, no, but nothing could beat Roseanne in 1996. Well, that's the thing. I think we, in the 80s, we get more like whack, well, very different television or very niche television because I, by that point, people are having more than one TV in the house. Yeah, you would have your own little teenage TV, you know, like a like a, I had like a like a four inch screen, black and white, or something in my room. So if I, I don't want to watch what the family is watching, then maybe I have a, another way to, of doing so. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, sorry, I didn't interrupt you. You make a good point because, like, Brandon Tartikoff, who was in charge of NBC, uh, part of the reason they were greenlighting Misfits of Science at one point was to throw it up against Dallas, thinking that they could get some of the kids who weren't watching, who weren't allowed to watch Dallas on the other set in the house. You're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Tour of Duty was also a show I watched, and then I watched China Beach as well. Um, you know, long life crush on Dana Delaney as a result. Oh, yeah. but, um, and that's a show that I own on DVD and that I've rewatched. And, you know, it's, it's really like they didn't panic at some point. They were, well, I didn't, they didn't need to. Um, and, uh, and it, it goes on to have a proper ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. China Beach got to end uh, in a very nice way. Like they really, the ABC clearly gave them the creative room to really end the show on its own terms. Yeah, yeah. And I, I it almost, it was almost the show I picked for my spotlight. But uh, and I didn't know you were going to do Tour of Duty at all. But uh, now I'm glad I didn't because you know too many Vietnam shows, I guess. But that mm-hmm. was a, I guess that was a big concern in the '80s. You know, it, it was turning up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the first time that they could you know really, like really do it on TV or, or in, in movies. It was fi- it was finally distance enough that they felt they could address it. And by the way, my apologies earlier. I actually thought Tom Cruise was in Platoon. I just Googled it. He wasn't. My mistake. No. no. I'm just stupid. That's all. (laughs) Um, But the fact that the character in Tour of Duty was a chopper pilot, I was like, they were clearly trying to get some Top Gun heat there. Yeah. I was pretty And the guy looked exactly like Tom Cruise. I mean, good lucky him. But (laughs) you could tell. I mean, they didn't call him Maverick, but they could have because he was so Tom Cruise ended up on that show. And and Cisco, there's no way you could have known what Rob was going to pick because he changed it like five minutes ago. So, uh, all right, Max, uh, you're up, buddy. Tell us, tell us your 1980s pick. Well, uh, for the 1980s, I was stuck actually between like three shows. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I almost went with Living Single, which is okay. which is the which a great show if you've ever seen it. Um, and actually, Friends is a to- total rip off of Living Single. Um, oh wow! Okay, yeah, they did. They they were first, uh, <laughs> and I was go- I was th- also thinking about Night Court, which of course Woo! is classic TV um, and one of the loves of my life. Uh, but I decided to go with Golden Girls. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> because Golden Girls, top to bottom, start to finish, pound for pound, is one of the best television sitcoms in history. Uh, just because it is so well done. And the writing is top notch. The acting is, is superb. 
And it is consistent from the first episode to the last. And, you know, because a lot of shows, you know, they have this arc and they just kind of like sputter out at the end. And uh, there were seven seasons of the Golden Girls and that never happened, you know, and they never had any changes in in the uh, in the cast. And it was just so strong. And I still watch it when <laughs> on reruns now. And it is, I just, I, I laugh every single time. And uh, a lot of that, I think, is just because, you know, it's an 80s show about, you know, everyone knows what, I, I feel silly describing what Golden Girls is about. But it's <laughs> it's about a, a group of uh, older, uh, retired, well, no, not retired, they're not all retired, uh, older women who are... Um, basically roommates in a house in in uh miami florida represent florida yeah and they um and it's basically about them living together and so it is uh southern belle blanche Devereaux, played by rue mcclanahan uh midwestern uh, so funny. uh naive midwestern um uh, widow Rose Nyland, played by Betty White, uh, divorcee Dorothy Zbornak, who is uh, played by the inimitable uh, B. Arthur, and her uh, older Italian, very Italian uh, mom, uh, Sophia Petrillo, played by Estelle Getty, who was actually the the youngest member of the cast. Oh, you're right, exactly. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, it was it was just great because you know you had all these, so you had these these actors uh, who were from the '60s and the '80s and they're they are just razor sharp their timing their chemistry everything works just so well. i mean these guys are just utter professionals at what they do and it shows because it it is so um seamless uh every episode and you know of course you know not every episode is gold but no i can't think of a single episode that isn't bad and um you know, it's it's just one of those things, and they balance them out so well. And again, the acting is so is so good that it makes sense that you would have Blanche and uh, Rose and Dorothy and uh, and uh, Sophia all living together when they're so different, but they connect so well. And they, you know, it's corny, but you know, they they're they become more than friends; they become family. And you can see that on the um, on the screen. And it's it's just a really enjoyable, well done show. You love shows that uh, that, that kind of like uh, try and survive one more season and then it doesn't work because that show when B. Arthur decided to leave, they were like, "Oh, let's redo it as the Golden Palace." Oh, yeah, that was with cool. Cheech Marin, <laughs> and then like that lasted like half a season. So it's like it's so hard was... to let like, go of a hit when you've got one. Oh man, yeah, no, and that was that was a bad idea. They <laughs> should not have done that. Uh, other than Frasier, there's a there's a long history of shows trying to stay relevant and keep going that just don't work. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and you saw that a lot in the 80s uh because uh, i used to be a really big fan of murphy brown mm-hmm. uh because you know I, I i was at the time i had you know I, an idea that i wanted to be a journalist and and so and you know and murphy brown is all about that uh but like a what, what was another one designing women also did this where you know we were talking about woke shows in the 70s and they they were those shows in the 70s didn't necessarily force it because it was just kind of the the environment that people were living in and it was you know it was real life but Designing Women and uh, Murphy Brown, I felt kind of, as they went on, they got more preachy uh, and started kind of like really shoving that in the audience's face, uh, which, you know, and I agreed with their politics, but I didn't necessarily want to watch it in my sitcoms. Uh, And uh, Golden Girls was really good about that because they would make reference to something, but it was just so fast. You know, I mean, Golden Girls is just boom, boom, boom. And so they drop the joke and they move on. And it's just a well-oiled machine. 
Yeah, the 80s was uh, definitely the era of the uh, very special episode, so <laughs> where they had had to really hang a lantern on it and hit you over the head with it, uh, whatever the item was. You're absolutely right. Max, everyone, can I? I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. I was just going to say, and everyone, everyone, you know, it's it's so much part of the culture that everyone, you know, says, "Oh, you're a you're a rose, you're a Blanche." I want to <laughs> say I'm a I want to say I'm a Dorothy, but I have to admit I'm probably a Sophia. <laughs> Picture this. Sorry, Picture yeah, this, no, this, this works. So yeah, I, I'm the Blanche of the group. That uh, makes Rob. Um, uh, not Maud. What, what was your character's name? Dorothy. Uh, Dor- you're, Rob's definitely a Dorothy. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so if you're saying you're Sophia, then that makes Cisco Rose. So that, that, this kind of tracks in a lot of ways, actually. It works. <laughs> My, I, Max, I, first of all, I've seen every episode of The Golden Girls. Uh, oh, wow. I've seen every, I watch it in reruns. Yeah. And, but my two favorite data points from that show, one is silly and one is actually a little more meaningful. First of all, Golden Girls, the first on-screen appearance of Quentin Tarantino. Oh, my gosh. He plays an Elvis impersonator in an episode. <laughs> so that was the start. Does he and ask then, to see it? Does he ask to see their feet or anything? No, like that? I, love, I probably did off, off screen. Uh, and then the other thing a little more substantial was I read this years ago was that originally Betty White was going to play Blanche. Mm-hmm. Rue McClanahan was going to play what's Betty's. I'm sorry. I remember the character. Rose. Play Rose. Because Rose was kind of the dim bulb and Blanche was like the hussy. Mm-hmm. And Betty White had played the hussy character on Mary Tyler Moore and Rue McClanahan had played kind of the dits on uh, the Carol Burnett show or Mama's Family maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what show. It was, Mom, then, it was Mama's Family. Mama's Family. And so they were kind of handed those roles because the producers were like, well, that's what people think of them as. And both Betty White and Rue McClanahan got together and said, ah, we've both done that. Let's switch roles to challenge ourselves. And so that's why they did. And I thought, wow, that like that's like what a what an interesting choice to make as a artist to say you know what I've already done this let me try something different and completely switch up roles and I thought that good on Rue McClanahan and Betty Betty White for having that sort of presence of mind to say ah, I can do this part of my sleep let me try something that might challenge me a little bit I thought that's really cool yeah like I said you know these these um, these actors were professionals I mean they'd been around for a while. I mean you know we were saying you know uh, Rue McClanahan had been around you know forever and she had most recently been in mama's family uh betty white of course was from um the mary tyler moore show uh b arthur was in mod uh and i never saw estelle getty before this but you know i know she was uh, a stage actor and you know it's, it's just um not, you know i hate to use the same word again but yeah it was, it was just kind of seamless and you know the b arthur and and uh betty white actually didn't get along apparently oh wow um but it doesn't show <laughs> you know i mean it's it, it doesn't show at all on the screen and uh you know that that in itself is is crazy because when i don't like someone i can't hide it <laughs> so don't worry max i get the impression <laughs> are you getting that yeah i got <laughs> it loud and clear <laughs> but yeah you know and it's uh we actually uh like 10 years ago rue mcclanahan um uh, published a well not published she had they published her uh an autobiography of hers uh and this is back when i lived in in austin and she came to a book signing at one of the bigger bookstores there and uh my wife sandy and i went and you know they always tell you oh don't meet don't meet your heroes and all the stuff and so i was kind of like okay she's gonna be kind of this older you know diva kind of actor and uh she was the sweetest most charming lady <laughs> you could ever hope to meet you know she was uh you know there was a i think there's a lot of Rue McClanahan in Blanche and uh it was it was just a delight to to meet her 
And then she slept with the stock boy. So. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't kiss and tell. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, Cisco, you're up. Let's tell you. You're our last one. Tell us your big 80s show. Well, um, I went with Wise Guy. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, it ran from 1987 to 1991, but I couldn't tell you what happens in 1991. So <laughs> uh, I, I, went, I moved to college and couldn't watch the show, but also it kind of jumped the shark in the same way that, that some of these other shows that we've mentioned did. So if you, uh, Wise Guy was, basically Ken Wall plays Vinny Terranova, He's a government agent who goes undercover in a crime family and eventually helps bring it down. Then he uses his street cred to infiltrate other crime organizations. Uh, there's a very grouchy Jonathan Banks playing Frank McBride, uh, McPike, Frank McPike, his supervisor. Uh, and this was a sophisticated television show for the day, really, a bit of a precursor to some of the more adult television of the 90s uh, and of today. And the way the stories were arranged in arcs, that just wasn't really done back then. So, like, the first season was split in two. You, like, first there was, like, like that Italian mob with Sonny Steelgrave. And then there's, like, this fancy West Coast, or maybe it's Florida, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, the, <laughs> there were yachts. There were yachts. Uh, this fancy West Coast drug operation run by Mel Prophet and his incestuous sister. Uh, Mel was played by Kevin Spacey. So it's, um, uh, for better or worse, it launched his career. Hmm. And uh, later missions included going into, you know, you went after white supremacy. Uh, corruption in the garment trade with Jerry Lewis as the main villain or character, and in the music industry with Deborah Harry in a really big role. And oh, wow. wow. It was very unfortunate that the DVD release couldn't get the rights to any of the music, so that whole arc is missing. They just never could put out that part of the show. Um, mm. That's kind of lost to the ages. And Ken Wall eventually left the show after the third season, after some, you know, some negotiation shenanigans. Uh, so they put in a new agent for the fourth season. But like I said, by then, I, I wasn't living at home. I wasn't capable of watching television. And in any case, I guess the show kind of deteriorated uh, after it lost its its star. Uh, but this was v like a very character-driven show. Um, you know, you saw the effects of undercover life on Vinny and on his family, on his two partners, because there was like Frank, but there was a guy called Lifeguard who was a Vietnam vet in a wheelchair, you know, Vietnam again, uh, who was kind of his point of contact. He would call in. And that was like the guy that gave him info uh, and uh, past messages. And, you know, undercover stories have a, like a real natural tension. So every episode was kind of a nail biter. You know, was he going to get caught? Was he going to get caught out? You know, it's, it was Donnie Brasco, the series, I guess. Uh, so I, I know you watched it, Shag. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I watched it from the first episode. Now, like you, I, I, I kind of trail off after a while. But yeah, I mean, it, it really, again, I was reading an article, and it was basically says this is the father of modern day sort of binge worthy TV where they do arcs, where, cause it just wasn't something they do back then. By the way, I have to take note. I think it's hilarious that you were, you took the time to explain Jonathan Banks' character Frank as being grouchy and stuff like that. I'm like, really? I, you just said Jonathan Banks. Do you need to say it? <laughs> it's just embedded in the, in the description. But, I, 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 yeah, I love this show. I, I, I actually, because of you, you jerk, I watched the pilot again last night. And there's some wonky stuff. By the way, in the 1980s TV shows, a lot of people get shot. A lot of bullets fly, and a lot yep. of people get shot. To the point where it's like, between Midnight Caller and Wise Guy, I was like, man, this is a lot more shooting than I'm used to nowadays. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's it's powerful. Like, you really get into it. And I remember as a kid, the thing that fascinated me was the whole undercover kind of aspect of it. Like, this guy has to completely walk 
wash himself of his whole life and the efforts they would go into to create the backstory, to the lifeguard concept, to, the things he would use to keep himself undercover was just wow. Yeah, and he and, becomes friends with Sonny Steelgrave, and he like mm-hmm. he, he feels like he feels uh, tortured about having to betray the guy that he's supposed to be taking down, you know, and some later villains are easier to take down because they're real creeps. But like that first mission, really, really, really psychological stuff. And then there was times too, where he had to commit a crime and he was torn because he's like, he's a cop, but he's got to commit a crime to convince them that he's, a, you know, part of the gang and stuff like that. Yeah. And his and, brother's a priest. And, you know, so there's, yeah, there's like that whole Italian family thing. And the, the boy that didn't make good. Cause they don't know. They don't know. They think he actually went, like he actually goes to jail when the, st- the show starts, you see that he's like coming out of jail and that's part of his cover. That's how he's building his cred. He so, spent 18 months in jail. Yeah. So, it, I mean, there is a, like, then he, like, he can't tell his family the truth. So he has to live with the guilt that he's putting, like, that burden he's putting on them that he went bad, you know? So, yeah. No, it was a really, really uh, strong show for for the 80s. It was a lot deeper than what we're used to, you know, with some of these things. You, you'll like this, Siskoid. Uh, because of this show, I hung on to the name Steelgrave uh, and used it in a role-playing campaign that I was in for like 10 years. And my main character was named Jack Steelgrave, and I stole the name from the show. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Max, can you wake up Rob? All right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember being on, but I don't think I ever watched it. I, I definitely watched this uh, movie, and in, in my head, it lives in the same place that uh, Crime Story does. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, because it kind of had the same kind of feel to it to me, and um, uh yeah, I mean, I don't know. I remember watching it pretty religiously, but at some point I, I tapered off of it for some reason. I'm not even sure why. I know with Crime Story it was because they moved to Vegas and then I lost interest. But the, yeah, I mean, I, you know, there was, um, I, 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 don't, I don't know if it was because, you know, the mafia was in the news at the time or, or what the deal was, but there were a lot of kind of mob shows. Well, there was like a resurgence of what they called neo-noir in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the, the beginning of it, uh, you know, like kind of that, that kind of interest. I think there are some jumping off points, like if you're watching it naturally at the time, um, like that whole, uh, you know, that, that Jerry Lewis bit. They changed they changed uh, agents for that one because Ken Wall got injured and he couldn't really do the action, so he's there like in crutches. But there's <laughs> like another guy doing all the action stuff and the investigation stuff. So that might have been like a moment where people kind of uh, well, you know, you don't know that the star is going to stay, mm-hmm. um, and the arcs became like a little shorter. It wasn't like that. Like it's surprising that the Sunny Sealgrave thing doesn't like in my mind. It lasted a whole season, and then Mel Prophet was another season but no it's like half seasons because back then you know it's like 26 shows a season and mm. um so today if you got it like a 13 episode run with one crime family that would be like a whole season that's what you would expect well th- those were also some jumping off points too it's like once the steel grave story's done if you yeah. weren't really that invested in the next mafia that he was in- embedded in you're like eh, okay i'm gonna go yeah. watch you know aftermath or something do, do, instead. You, do, you <laughs> would, do you think it would have benefited if they had just gone deeper on one crime family yes if they had just stuck with that i think so but i also think that maybe it was just not how television was being no. done like like especially a crime show like of course you had like soap operas and and by that i mean i include knots landing and dynasty and all this this stuff where there are continuing stories but like this kind of like a cop show would be case of the week 
And uh, even like the, the deeper cop shows were still kind of like the cases of that week. So that, that was like doing a, like a story arc like that, absent any soap opera, was not the usual. So I think for them, doing like a 13-episode arc or however long like that first arc was, that was already a risk. And maybe by the second season where they were doing more like, like five episodes, six episodes instead of like full half seasons, I think like maybe like the second season has maybe three cases uh, maybe even four, and maybe episodes in between for, like, family stuff, hmm. uh, then um, I, I think maybe they went, okay, we went too far. Like, the audience isn't really necessarily interested in following us uh, at that pace, maybe. because Or, they or the network. It. Or the network. Or the network, yeah, yeah, probably. yeah, Because yeah. it was a critical darling, you know, mm -hmm. but it was never a great uh, ratings winner. So yeah, I'm just I, wondering because the I, I wonder if knowing that every time he started into a new um, a new crime family a new a new case basically if you kind of took away the tension of it just because you kind of know well he's gonna they're not gonna, they're not gonna catch him or he's like he's gonna be okay because they have to do it again next year yeah yeah no I, I think you could have done this show as as like a long running you could have been in the Steelgrave family for two years mm -hmm. and I think it would still have worked or it worked even better probably I, and this is a show I think they could easily easily just relaunch without any, I mean, just get a new agent and some good writers and you could do the show today and it would still be, still be very compelling. I think they did a TV movie, um, some, some, some years later with Ken Wall returning and, um, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. I mean, I think you'd have to, you know, it, it, a, a whole new scheme, a whole new guy, everything like that. But I mean, I think yeah. the premise is solid. So, you know, and Ken Wall is an interesting actor. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of charisma, but he just kind of faded away after this, didn't he? I don't remember him in anything but this. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, and the pilot is a little shaky. I mean, there's some acting in the pilot where I'm kind of like, you know, from that I watched last night. I'm like, eh, okay. Well, all right. We'll tell you what. We're, we're running super long here, guys, because we love. We're so passionate about this. So we're gonna we're gonna trip hammer through some last just fun topics. So, all right, best TV show theme song. So everyone, uh, get ready to throw out what you think is the best TV show theme song from the 70s and 80s. Rob, you're first. The correct answer is the Rockford File. That is just the <laughs> correct answer. Not only does that. Show show i mean look everyone knows my, my love of california i want to live in california that show not only makes me want to live in california and want to make it makes me want to live in california in the 70s uh, all the shots of of james gardner uh investigating crimes and talking to suspects and talking to witnesses even grocery shopping it makes me want to just it makes everything looks like it makes california just look so marvelous the theme is just so powerful it is to me it, look as much as it pains me to say it's not mash because i know Everyone knows I love MASH. MASH is a great theme, but Rockford Files is it. Well, let All me right. ask you this. Is that a song? Because I had it split between, like, if it's, is it score? In which case, I love Space 1999. I think Hawaii Five-0 is kind of like a mm. like a memorable one. But for songs, I was looking at, you know, things that had words in it. That's fair. I was thinking theme. When I hear theme, I think it's mostly instrumental. But a right, song would I, be slightly different. Category. I think we could open it to whichever. Uh, but I also went with just musical instrumental, but uh, whichever. So, Cisco, uh, so you're talking. So what's, what's yours? Well, you know, ask and answer it as far as score goes. When I was looking at songs, well, I think kind of like the Cheers song is kind of the, you know, like the, the gold standard with, you know, with words, but very strong contenders. Laverne and Shirley's Making Our Dreams Come True, mm -hmm. The Muppet Show's theme song, Will Smith's Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Do you understand um, the concept of pick one? Well, <laughs> like I said, like to me, to me, to me, it's, it's the Space 1999 okay. song or theme. Thank you for your singular answer. We appreciate that. Max, what you got? 
Uh, well, now Cisco has me thinking. Okay, so for one with words, I would say maybe uh, "Welcome Back, Cotter," which was a, a big oh, hit. Great. Yeah, oh, great! Yeah, okay, a song. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, instrumental. It's for me. It's SWAT because that is just such a hard driving kind of theme. And uh, I actually thought it was like a Mancini theme, but it's not. It's someone. It was composed by someone named Barry Devorzon. Uh, it was also a number hit, a number one hit <laughs> in, in 1976, and performed by disco funk band The Rhythm Heritage. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> and it's a it's a theme song that if you play it in your head when you're doing anything makes everything much more interesting. Whether you're washing dishes, you're cooking, you're <laughs> vacuuming, whatever. Just I don't know, flip through the window and you know grab those bed sheets. <laughs> I, I don't actually know the theme to SWAT. I'm gonna have to look what? this up now. I, I know. I'll have to look it up. Um, all of those are very good. Those are all very very. Good. They're incorrect, but they're all very good because the correct <laughs> answer is Battlestar Galactica. All right. Mm. There there's no open room for debate with this. That is a cinematic scale theme. It's powerful. Everyone knows it. It's amazing. It's it's up there. It's not John Williams, but it damn well could be. It's that freaking good. Now, as far as stuff with words, I the only thing that comes to mind that's fun. I don't know if it's the best, but it's Greatest American Hero had a fantastic theme. I had that on forty five even. So um, I'm glad we all agree about Battlestar Galactica. Thank you guys for your of course the comment. colonial sea anthem. Yeah, of course. Exactly. Come on, you can't beat that, right? Uh, it's a good one. I do have to is. mention. I, I, I growing up, I had uh, sometime in the uh, late eighties, I got a a cassette tape it was like the music of mike post uh who wrote theme songs all the time and it had la law which is a great theme it had wise guy which is a great theme it had the donahue theme which was called silver fox and it had hunter <laughs> and i this is what i played every night to go to sleep i played this in my little cassette player by the bed and i would fall asleep listening to these themes that's that, wow. that was my thing <laughs> wow that, that tells me a lot <laughs> yeah, I mean, glass houses and all that i'm not gonna call you a nerd <laughs> <laughs> I, I I thought you guys would have my back, but all right. Anyway, um, are there any 70s or 80s shows you missed at the time, but you caught up in reruns or on streaming or whatever? Um, and so let's start with Max. You're up, buddy. Uh, yeah, I've been watching a lot of Starsky and Hutch. Uh, that's a, that's another show. Uh, it was in the seventies and I was probably too young to be watching it because, you know, Huggy Bear was a pimp and was, and you know, <laughs> there was always, uh, something about drugs and, you know, people getting beat up and all. I was, I was probably much too young for Starsky and Hutch. Uh, but I loved it and I had a Hot Wheel that was in the same shape as the Zebra, uh, Zebra 3. And, um, I used to drive that around my my living room floor, pretending it was it was uh, Starsky and Hutch. I had Amigo of Starsky. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and so I was big into it when I was a kid, but a lot of it went over my head. And I've been watching it lately on uh, Cozy, uh, the Cozy Network, uh, which shows two episodes back to back on Saturdays. And uh, I've just been really enjoying it. It's 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 actually really good seventies cop TV. You know, there really there is some crazy theme song music right there, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Cisco, what about you, man? Well, I'm more of a DVD catch-up guy myself, so it's like if I know I will like something or find something that was cheap, um, then I might buy the DVDs and then catch up that way, much more than streaming. I don't feel like I have very many streaming services where where they would give me that those eras of television. So, uh, obviously, I had to catch up on Doctor Who at some point. You know, So, the 70s Doctor Who through PBS in the 80s I watched, or through YTV here, uh, I would watch Doctor who every day uh you know back then so 
that was a catch up in a way. But on DVD, I you know that's how I watched Sapphire and Steel. That's how I watched Wonder Woman or Kolchak, the the Night Stalker. Um, those are shows that I only caught on DVD. And there's there's some shows that I still want to see from those eras that uh, I'm sort of waiting around for the right DVD or the right streaming service to to give me them. So you mentioned UFO earlier. That's something that's on like Amazon Prime or whatever. So I was thinking mm, maybe I should um, you know. I pull the trigger on that uh, soon. It's so good. It is so freaking good. And of course, everybody's on me to to watch Blake Seven at some point. So mm. you know, that's all, I'm also waiting on a on a good way to to see it. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. I so know. am I. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, I guess it's me next. So for me, um, this is more in the 1990s. I, I had watched some Chips episodes growing up here and there. Sure, everyone did. Uh, but then in the 90s, when it was in reruns, it just became the thing me and my roommate watched. And if you well, you talked about Great Cop Show, Max, it's sort of the same thing. If you want to see a totally awesome kick-ass car chase, and <laughs> go watch Chips. It's great for that. And I remember um, in college, uh, my roommate and I, I'd, I'd be, I remember literally having my backpack on my shoulder, walking out the door, and my roommate's on the couch. He's like, hey, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to class. He's like, no, you're not. I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> He's like, no, you're not. And he'd do the up on the volume and hear, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> sure enough, my ass was on the couch. And I failed a class because of chips. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, had an, it was chips. It yeah. was chips. And they had an attendance policy where if you miss a class, you lose a letter grade. every. So you miss five classes, boom, you're failed. Wow. And I skipped sociology enough times to watch chips that I failed the class. The, the teacher and I got along great. We'd see each other in the grocery store and chat. He'd be like, hey, why do you come back to class? I'm like, you already failed me. Yeah, but I like having you there. You know, it's just, it was so weird. <laughs> I failed a class because of chips. And then this, this followed us through life because uh, my buddy and I, we've gone to Dragon Con together many times. And um, we've gotten our picture with Eric Estrada uh, at Dragon Con. And then we got our picture with um, uh, uh, Michael Dorn, who was on Chips. Yeah, and right. I, I've told this story before. I'll tell it super fast. So we go up to him, and, and he's sitting at the you know the Hall of Fame, and, and he's answering all these Star Trek questions, and he's bored out of his mind. Michael Dorn looks like he's about to fall asleep. And we go up, and we're like, hey, you know, we love Star Trek, but we really like Chips. Man, he sat right up. And he's like, you know, I was on 78 episodes of Chips. And we're like, that's why we're here. And we just sat and talked with him forever, and we got our photo with him and everything him holding up a chip sign and i mean just i love this show i genuinely do he was on how many episodes i want to say the number was like 78 i mean I, this is wow. a we met him like 10 years ago so i don't know that i'm remembering that number even remotely correctly but uh it, it was just yeah it, he was one of the cops he was yeah. like uh, a tangential you know cop. exactly i think he was yeah. one of the ones that had to drive a car like kind of thing and you know the, the um the chief uh the guy in charge of the chips group was uh chris pine's dad so oh started, wow yeah so Shag, that's did, my, you ever, did you ever watch 30 rock Shag? I did. Oh yes, I saw. I saw that episode not too long ago, actually, where where um, Jack arranges for her to meet uh, John, right? Larry Wilcox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and, hilarious. And not only that, but like he 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 takes her on a ride on his cop motorcycle. Yes, yeah. it was hysterical. He they, he's done a lot of gimmicks uh, in movies over the years. I think he was in one of the. Um, Oh gosh, what was the the parody uh, parody movies that uh, Charlie Sheen did? I can't remember. The Hotspot movies. Yeah, Hot I think Stop. he was. I think he was in one of those. Uh, in the same, you know, in the Chips outfit, they've had a great sense of humor about it. So, all right, I, I've talked too long about Chips. I will do. I could do a whole episode on Chips easily. Well, th- so, that has to be a T-shirt, you know. What? Ideal class because of Chips. <laughs> I probably should. All right, and then um, Rob, what about you, buddy? Mine's real simple. Columbo. Uh, that was a show that came and went before I was ever really watching much of television. 
and it was just culturally a thing I knew about. I mean, everybody can do the imitation of Peter Falk with the question and all that stuff, but I just, it just, I just missed it entirely. And now it's on streaming and I was, you know, we've been working from home and I'm like, we were burning through content and I was like, oh, you know, let me give this a shot. And I started watching a few of them and it, re- I mean, obviously it's a great show. No, that's no, that's no uh, remarkable statement because it's lasted, but I'm just amazed at how like slow and drawn out it is in a good way and that television audiences were willing to put up with that kind of pace in the 70s and there were movies there were little movies i mean one of them is directed by a young kid named steven spielberg for god's sakes he never went anywhere he never went anywhere so it's like it there it's it was just way and there was a lot more characterization to the the bad guys like they really got name actors to play bad guys i mean robert culp was one william shatner was in one like they didn't it wasn't just like standard uh you know actor on the lot to play the bad guy it was like no there were episodes where Columbo doesn't come into it for like the first 20 minutes. Oh my gosh. And they, they, you know, they knew the audience would be okay with that. So uh, I've been watching it in drips and drabs and I've been really entertained by it. Of just like, these are really pretty complex mysteries to air every week on television. So that's a show that I'm finally catching up to. I, I have another embarrassing college story. I, uh, when I would drink too much, I would put on my dirty trench coat, smoke cigars and do Columbo impersonations. Um, and it, it wasn't pretty, but that was, that was a thing. Did you have the a Dr. Fate figure in your pocket? <laughs> I probably did. Actually, it's the same time. <laughs> eternity. I didn't want to say eternity, everybody. <laughs> I, just, I just need to ask you a couple of questions about Inza. All right. Um, so, you know, any I, sh- I really like that. I'm sorry. I'm, I was just going to say, I really like that. Uh, Columbo really seems to be enjoying a renaissance lately. Yeah. It does. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really kind of cool to see people, you know, talking about and rediscovering what really, as Rob said, is a really good show. Yeah. I wanted to mention that, by the way, when you talk about Golden Girls, also has had a major resurgence over the last 10 years. Like, it's very popular in streaming. My my 21-year-old stepson has a Golden Girls t-shirt he wears. I mean, <laughs> they're really, you're pushing it. I mean, if, if you're on, if you're watching anything on Prime, like every three ads is going to be a Golden Girls. Mm. Oh, wow. So, so all you really need in this era is like a streaming service decides to put one of these old shows on. And that, that's happened to Columbo. It's happened to Star Trek. All the Star Trek shows went on Netflix a couple years ago. And then they, like, they, they push it with ads. And then a whole new generation discovers it. Like, it happened to Friends as well. Like the kids I, who would not have been mm-hmm. old enough to watch Friends suddenly were all talking about Friends. And I was yeah, going, yeah. "Am I living like twenty years ago?" Uh, <laughs> I think I think that's the effect. I think what happened was yeah. when Friends has exploded, the streaming channels decided, "Hey, we can push all these other content." Yeah, yep, you're probably yep. right. Mm-hmm. All right. So any shows that you went back and watched, either streaming, rerun, whatever, uh, that didn't hold up. So anything that did not hold up. So um, I'll, I'll just throw one out there. I'll start off with uh, Greatest American Hero. Uh, I loved it as a as a youngster. I tried to watch it again i don't know it's probably been five ten years i i couldn't do it 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 was it, william cat has a charisma but and robert culp is a genius but this show just didn't work for me so wow. uh rob what you got sadly i have to say my answer for this is also tour of duty oh no uh, that show uh used a lot of very expensive music clips uh, at the time the, the the opening theme is painted black by the rolling yeah. stones the opening episode uses the bob dylan version of all along the watchtower this, nobody knows that version because of the Jimi Hendrix version. It's literally the only piece of entertainment I've ever heard that uses the Dylan version of that song. And when that show got put on DVD, they did not have the rights to any of the music, and they replaced. Oh. And they replaced. And they didn't just replace the songs with like inferior songs. They literally replaced some of the songs with just almost generic music. 
And mm-hmm. I don't want to say that it, you know, the actor, the actors are the actors and the writing's the writing, the director's the directing. I mean, it's those things are all still good, but the show, it, it, when I watched it, it was like somebody took a knife and just stabbed the show in the heart across the episode. And it, after like about six episodes, I was like, I can't watch this anymore. The music choices are so bad. And I was like, I just can't, I can't. Be. And so to me, it's like, I don't want to watch the show again because the music is just so distractingly terrible. I could understand if they couldn't afford to use the Rolling Stones on home video, but like they just, and I think for that, they used like, we got to get out of this place, which is kind of like, it's okay. But in the episodes themselves, it's like somebody who had never understood how music is scored just ruined it. And I, it makes me sad because I think if somebody came to the show later on, they'd say, this show is really, and you're like, no, the one that aired on TV was really, are you, are you saying that they even changed the theme? Yeah. Oh my wow. God. Cause that was like the main, one of the main reasons I watched, watched that show was to hear the song. Yeah, no, I mean, that was like a major part of it. And then you got immersed in that era, like China beach and I have it all on DVD. All the music is intact. Yep. And it's a, it's a good thing, but it's tragic. It's really tragic. Wow. Yeah. Same thing. Damaged a turbo teen in home release. Stop it. Uh, all right, Cisco, what you got, buddy? Nothing, because I think what I do is if something was is bad, I'm not going to keep going at it with it, and then I just put it out of my mind. So I couldn't come up with anything here. But like Rob, it's like I'm, you know, I'm, I just I spotlighted um, spotlit. Is that how you would say it? <laughs> I put the spotlight on Wise Guy, and Wise Guy on DVD is full of problems. Like that missing arc. There's a lot of stuff there that happens that they mention later, and that, that just doesn't make sense anymore in continuity. Uh, and the last episode that is actually on the DVDs, because it doesn't go all the way to the fourth season, the ones I have, is like you can't remove the um, the commentary track on it. And it's like a really important episode. And you got <laughs> Ken Wall talking over it. All the way. And you can't take it. So, uh, so, so I mean, it's the way you're going to watch it. It's not the show not standing up. It's the, the format that they've released it in. So it's not watchable anymore. So we've actually lost, you know, as with Tour of Duty, we've lost what it was. Um, and that's, that's, I think that's the saddest thing when the show is good and cannot be rewatched the way it was and it just suffers because of it. But bad shows, like shows that I, I watched and goes, you know, I, I wouldn't watch a show that I felt was bad and not for very long anyways. Wow. That's heartbreaking. All right, Max, take us home. You've always got the most uh, poignant thing. So we're, we're going to have you go last. <laughs> well, I'm not, I, I don't do it on purpose. Uh, the, and, and this, this actually does break my heart a little bit to say because because I loved it when it was on, but uh, Dukes of Hazard oh. for me, it doesn't it doesn't hold up anymore. It's um, it's uh, problematic, let's say. <laughs> um, you mean the guys driving around with the Confederate flag? Really? Yeah. Named the General Lee, which, which I actually had a Hot Wheel of that too. I mean, it's you know, I, I was big into Dukes of Hazard, um, but you watch it now, and a lot of it just is very tone deaf. Um, it's very um, not only is it kind of a, of a South that's been romanticized and that most people, you know, well, except for 30% of this country, uh, knows that, uh, was not, uh, a good thing about, the, about the South necessarily. And, but they, um, you know, it, it's just, it's just very, um, 
noticeable now uh the the problems that there were with it and you know this these are things that were of not not even necessarily of their time because part of the problem too is that it doesn't do it doesn't do white folks any any favors either <laughs> um, <laughs> very broad you know, yeah that, it's very that broad. Is really broad yeah it, it is they paint uh, everyone with the same brush <laughs> yeah exactly i mean you know thank god for daisy dukes and everything it has done for us but you know it's um it, it doesn't it just it, it it can't survive, and they they try to update it with a really crappy movie, and it it still had a lot of the same kind of problems. And you know, I mean, I don't know, do they still make moonshine in the South? I have no idea. But they, you know, it's um, I I can't answer that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a yes from Florida. I'm man. sure they do. <laughs> I mean, they make moonshine here. Everybody makes moonshine. <laughs> yeah. You're not making moonshine, Max? <laughs> Untapped market <laughs> during the yeah. pandemic of all times. Jeez, I'm in the Midwest. We're all making cheese. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if there's something illegal, God knows it's happening in Florida. <laughs> I can't talk about it. Shut up. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, un- unfortunately, for me at least, I mean, it's, um, you know, like Cisco was saying, uh, it's, a, it's a very broad humor, and that kind of humor doesn't necessarily age well. <sighs> we'll always have Catherine Bach. All right. Yeah. So, all right, folks. Well, uh, let's, let's have everybody sign off here. This, uh, we're, we're, we've gone very long, but I think, uh, I, I hope I speak for everybody when I just said how much fun this is absolutely been so uh all right rob uh closing thoughts uh big thanks to chuck coletta for the suggestion these patreon suggested shows that we're getting are so much fun to do yes uh, please give us more over on patreon.com slash fw podcast please suggest more things because man these are just a blast to do so thank you to everybody and especially thanks for chuck for this idea it's terrific all right, Siskoid. What? <laughs> Closing thoughts, sir. I'm turning into a pumpkin. You can hear it. Uh, <laughs> this is true. This is true. It's past midnight where I am, so yeah, I'm, I'm turning into a big... Uh, what, what was the question? <laughs> Any closing thoughts you'd like to say? Or, no, just, uh, say, or just say goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say goodbye, but I mean, it, it was fun to revisit those, the, my, the first two decades of my life, basically. You know? Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, where, I mean, the network is driven, you know, it's fueled by nostalgia and this is oh yeah this is you know the essence of it that's fair very fair uh max uh no just uh you know to echo what rob said you know this is these are a lot of fun to do and you know if, if people come up with more ideas like this you know I'd, i personally would love to to hear them and do them and you know it's it's great to uh cisco said you know these are the first two decades of my life also which is uh kind of scary but, <laughs> but uh yeah no just just thank you to everyone and you know thank you guys for for uh inviting me on these shows these are always a lot of fun and uh just you know thank you thank you for being a friend <laughs> <laughs> you did it. Well played. Uh, yeah, this has been an absolute blast. Folks, I want to hear your thoughts. So please go out to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. Look for the FW Podcast Show. And let us know if there's some of your favorite shows. Or just talk about one show that you just absolutely love that should have been spotlighted. Or, or just tell us why all of Rob's picks are wrong or whatever you want to do. Uh, you, can also, <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter uh, as FW Podcast and, of course, face, uh, Facebook as well. So it, it, this has been such a nostalgic trip for me. As much as I love comic books, you know, I love TV probably just as much growing up uh if not more so this was an absolute hoot and like these lists we we rattled off you guys are probably like yep 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 but let me tell you when you sit down and try and write these lists it's really hard because like you you come up with like 10 shows and then you google you know 70 shows you're like how did i forget all the you know all the family how did i forget one one day at a time and all these things so it was a lot of fun so with that, uh, I will uh, uh, paraphrase um, Jack Killian from Midnight Caller and just say, Good night, America, wherever you are. He's getting closer to the truth. I believe Masters is setting up Miss Gallagher. 
This is too easy, Vince. But there's only one problem. Somebody's going to be hung out to dry on this one. The truth has just become a terrible lie. The person being hung out to dry is you. Arrest Agent Turnover. The ultimate setup on Wise Guy, The Capital Conspiracy, Wednesday.